Hello there, ghost faces of all gender identities. Welcome to the Devil's Cut Podcast, a show all about the media that goes bump in the night. If it's scary, spooky, or spine tingling, we're here to talk about it. I'm Matt Young, and I'm here with my co-host... Eric Rossi. And uh, we have a special a special guest today. It, we're bringing in our good friend and uh, fellow college graduate, Dylan Snook. How you doing, Dylan? Hello. I'm doing really good. I'm excited to uh, be on my first podcast. <laughs> also, college graduate is generous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> Well, you know, I it, it's the school we went to is kind of hard to describe. So I just for for the layman, I just say mm, yeah. College, there's no need you know? to get into the because <laughs> then you then I have to answer a bunch of questions. Yeah. We all got the paperwork that says we completed we completed the coursework. It's yeah, good. I have a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> Our fellow fellow certificate fellow debt holder. holders. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so well, yeah, welcome to the Devil's Thank Cut, you. Dylan. Thank We're, you. It's great to it's great to have you. It's great to be here. Um, I'm really what, excited. Do you want to? I I I don't know if Eric like prepared you. You know, I do you want to introduce yourself? Say say anything about you, who you are, and what you do, or do you want to just stay a mystery? Um, it's up to you. I'll just stay a mist. I'm a comic book artist. I'm working on a Dead by Daylight <laughs> book. Other than that, I'll just stay sort of a mystery. I'm sure the like four people from Twitter who are gonna listen. I like this, I, I like how you were like I'm gonna be a complete mystery. And you're like, well, no, I'll do a little bit. <laughs> you flirted with the idea of of being a masked figure. Being mysterious is like my thing. People really love that about me. So I just don't know what to <laughs> lean into. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, D- Dylan is a fellow comic book artist. Just uh, just like. Eric and I, and yeah, he. I I was hoping you would bring it up because yeah, you're work currently working on a comic, uh, uh the Dead by Daylight yeah. comic. Uh, who's publishing? Titan it? Titan Comics is publishing it. It is Titan. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah. I thought I thought it was Titan, but I didn't want to. That's a stay tuned episode. That that's a that's a couple couple weeks down the road. We're definitely going to be having Dylan back on if he'll join us again to talk about the yes. launch i accept <laughs> great yeah yeah i definitely want to i think we'll talk about uh both the game and the comic oh, and, and just perfect. have a whole because you know i do claim you know at the start of this show that we talk about movies and books and mm-hmm. comics but so far we've only done mm-hmm. movies so it'll be good to finally dip our toes into the to the video yeah. game side some of, other media uh, sounds good i have a lot to say about dead by daylight <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah. So stay tuned to for that episode, <coughs> listeners. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today we are talking about Scream Six. Oh, Woo! yeah. Oh man, I get so fucking pumped anytime a new Scream movie comes out. I love Scream. I it's one of my it's one of the more formative uh, movie series horror movie series for me that like really got me into the genre uh it's not the certainly not the only one but it really helped pave the way for for where i am i'm a a huge fan of the franchise what about you eric i uh i i wasn't a huge like uh fan of it when i was younger uh i i didn't really understand the appeal until i was much older and i became like uh more of a true crime 
I don't want to say fan, <laughs> uh, true crime enthusiast. That's worse. Not much better, <laughs> That's but worse. Marginally, <laughs> marginally, marginally more acceptable. <laughs> I enjoy the uh, nature of the movie that is life imitates art, imitates life in the way that the these movies play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm always I'm always a sucker for uh, a good slasher. Yeah, for for sure, for sure. What about you, Dill? How do you? How do you um, feel about I I'm sort of on the same page as you. I remember watching the first one when I was like pretty young, on like VHS at my grandma's house, and I don't think it necessarily like stuck with me until a little bit later. But like when I was sort of old enough to watch them with a level of understanding that I didn't have when I was younger, I loved them. I think it's my, just, like, personally speaking, it's my favorite, like, slasher franchise of all time. I think it's consistently the strongest one. That's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think it always, uh, it's kind of built into its own formula, mm. you know, because it, it, the whole point of the series is each movie is sort of capitalizing on all the tropes of the movies that have, you know, yeah. preceded it. And they keep up, you know, each entry keeps up with what's going on in the sort of, I guess, I, I hate the word meta. I used to like it, but now that Facebook owns it, I don't like to say it. Like, <laughs> like, but sort of like the movies always capitalize on the current, you know, meta of horror movies. And, and they always do. They always do it. I mean, you know, the movies have their hits and their misses. <laughs> yes. But for the most part, I, I feel like they, they always manage to just do, do what they're you know hit the target they're aiming mm. for like they're, pretty, they're nice pretty time capsules yeah yeah like they're all a product of like the time yeah that exactly they're, you know created and written another reason i like them is because yeah i'm i'm also i'm with you eric i i love a good slasher movie uh you know the st- the stupidest ones even you know still warm my heart because i just like there's just something about them but i like the screen movies because they're also like whodunits you know there's there's because in in you know Friday the Thirteenth or you know a a Nightmare on Elm Street or a Texas Chainsaw, you know who's doing it. You know we, we know everyone. Oh, that's Jason. Uh, we sh- I guess we shouldn't have stayed at this camp again. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, but like uh, Ghostface just will show up and it, they like they say in almost every movie it could be anybody you know it's it, so it's you've got the fun murder mystery aspect to it so it's always fun to try at least the first you know watch around it's always fun to like try really try and figure out who did it before the you know unmasking yeah suss out everybody's motives so i think that's like it has that an added little like spice to it that that you don't get from a lot of slashers and also the reason I got into it helped, you know, get me into horror at a young age was because a, a, a lot of the, I mean, granted, these movies are scary and they're bloody, but like they're also kind of goofy. Mm. Mm. Like, you know, there's it just like a sort of a lighthearted tone that just kind of lightly dusts it, that, that makes it a little more palatable, I think, for younger viewers. Hmm. Maybe not every younger viewer, but, you know, for me, who was clearly, like, predisposed to, to like horror, it, it certainly uh, helped me go, okay, okay, this this one I can handle. I guess my interpretation of, like, the lightheartedness was more like, it seems the most grounded, which for me is why it felt almost the scariest, because it's like, it feels the most grounded in realism in a, in a sense, because, like, people, you know, like, Eric just said, 
you're a true crime enthusiast. Like, there's people like that all <laughs> over. Not <laughs> Eric's ghost face. It's me. I'm I'm the killer. It's always someone you know. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I I think for what it comes to uh, the goofy aspect, I met you. It's certainly like the the hyper awareness mm-hmm. of them almost knowing they're in a horror mm-hmm. movie. Uh, or at least being very aware of the horror movie tropes, I, I feel is I don't I don't know if goofy is the right term because it's just but it adds like a a, a different sort of vibe to the movie. But also Ghostface himself, especially early Ghostfaces like one, two, and three, those Ghostfaces just get knocked around, man. Like they're tripping all over. They're like oh, doing a Three Stooges act yeah. for every chase scene. Like they're flopping over stuff. Uh, but but I think it's he's still scary because you know what even no matter how many potted plants you throw in his way that he trips over he's still gonna get to yeah. you. Yeah, I I agree. <laughs> that is a I that is a fun part of it. Like the way that Ghostface is portrayed is just sort of like they're all sort of like bumbling morons in some ways, and like they're running around with like this goofy mm-hmm. like mask that like you know they probably realistically wouldn't be able to see through well so like (laughs) they play it like very i don't know it's like even though it's a ridiculous horror movie like there's a degree of realism to that where it's like ghostface is never like this pro athlete like they're always sort of like clumsy and awkward (laughs) (laughs) you know they're always some fucking loser there's there's almost like a i don't want to put this idea into the universe because Oh, be careful! Uh, it's the it's the last thing we we need for Scream to do, uh. But like, it, it's almost so. In the first movie, Scream uh, Scream Face. <laughs> that's what I was going to call. Uh, <laughs> in the first movie, uh, I guess spoilers for like a thirty year old movie. The Ghost Face is um, Stu and Billy, mm-hmm. who are you know fairly able bodied, like fit young men. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of makes sense that like they would be able to overpower most of the and murder most of the people that they do in that movie. Um, so, but like later on, the the ghost faces who they are, like both gender, body type, height starts to vary so much, but yet. Whenever they're they're in ghost face mode, they're all just a super strong medium height, medium build <laughs> guy with a ghost face mask on. So it's almost like like Billy and Stu have imbued just dressing up as ghost face with like this supernatural energy that just makes whoever becomes ghost face like unreasonably strong for like inexplicably. <laughs> Yeah, or, like, the new ones just have, like, platform shoes on. Yeah, some good lifts and and uh, the power of will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to be able to get out there and do your job as Ghostface. All I'm saying is, for Scream, for, for Five Cream, uh, oh, they, the two Ghostfaces are, are um, Jack Quaid's character and, I, I don't know the actress, but she played the character Amber, so it's, like... Richie and the, Amber. The boy... F- it's Richie and Amber, right, Richie. Um, and in either case, like, Jack Quaid's, like, kind of a scrawny guy. There's no way either Ghostface Jack Quaid mm. or Ghostface Amber, neither of them would be able to stab and lift Officer Dewey off of his feet <laughs> and, and and overpower him like that. It just would, wouldn't happen. But because they have the, you know, 
uh, the legacy energy of <laughs> Ghostface flowing through them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're just able to do it. And it, so there's like, it's almost like this uh, supernatural, uh, you know, uh, ability that Ghostface ends up accruing over the course of the, the franchise. I mean, putting on a mask does a lot for a person. It can really change the yeah, you way you the- interact with the world and the world interacts with you. I mean, look at... Yeah, um- it's kind of like... It's kind of like the so you're saying Ghostface is the equivalent of like you know uh, people raging on Twitter <laughs> because of their anonymity like they just get super <laughs> strong because of it. Not dissimilar. Not dissimilar. Let's uh, you want to do like some stats and and we'll cover the the cast and crew and stuff first before yeah, we get into some our numbers. opinions on it. All right. So Scream Six, written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick, is directed by Matt Bettinelli, Open and Tyler. Gillett, who are they form like the the collective that is Radio Silence, and they were in charge of directing the the fifth one as well. Yeah, yes, Radio Silence. They did the fifth one. I think before that they they were involved in VHS. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Um, as well as like a few other things. They're pretty you know established. Um. Oh, they did that. You know what they did that um, Southbound movie. That, oh, that you know that. what that makes a lot of sense. I really liked Southbound. Southbound was sick. How am I forgetting? Radio Silence did Ready or Not. Oh, a beloved. Okay, which is why they were able to get Samara weaving in this movie, mm. um, and why there's a, a character in this movie. Well, not a character, like a extra who's dressed as Samara Weaving's character from Ready or Not, because they were actually running into issues uh, ba- uh, on like what characters they're allowed to depict people dressed mm-hmm. as, you know? So they were like, well, obviously we can have this character in there because she's ours. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to sue ourselves. I liked Ready or Not, but I did not like <laughs> those other ones. <laughs> you didn't like Southbound or VHS? No. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on which VHS. Like, the latest ones are... Well, they were only involved in the first one. Oh. The original. Oh, okay. The first one's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's some... Some Hell of the shorts are <laughs> but it's an anthology. There's hit and miss across the brand. Yeah, but I like. I actually really liked Southbound. There was some really good creepy. Because um, that's another anthology. There was some good creepy shorts mm-hmm. in that one. But yeah, and again, now the ca- as far as the cast goes, we have uh, Courtney Cox uh, reprising clap, role as Gail clap, Weathers. Clap, 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 clap. A little pre pre trivia. Courtney Cox was, I think, the first person to sign back on for this movie. <laughs> She was like, she was like, fuck yeah, I love playing Gail Weathers. I do it for free. I think is like an actual quote from her. But she got paid uh, mad money. We got Melissa Barrera as Sam Carpenter and Jenna Ortega as Tara Carpenter. Jasmine or Yasmine Brown as Mindy and Mason Gooding as Chad. And that that is our uh, core four. <laughs> the, the, uh, a, ter- a term you won't forget by the end of the movie. They really beat you over the head with it. <laughs> They really, yeah, they make sure you remember it. Uh, we also have Skeet Ulrich returning as Billy, as the ghost of Billy. As the ghost. <laughs> and of course, how could we forget uh, Roger Jackson at reprising yet again his role as the voice of Ghostface. Uh, this is his sixth sixth time uh, appearing as Ghostface, and you know what? Great Still work, man. Roger. Oh, yeah. Great work, Roger. <laughs> um, we also have uh, other roles. We have Dermot Mulrooney. Uh, as Detective Bailey, he was uh, he, it was a fun surprise. I, I know him from Shameless, but I know he's in Same. other things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I know he has quite a film pedigree. He's done like a shitload of movies. I think he's done like 120 or 130 Jesus, movies. Jesus, that's like exhausting. That. What are we looking at budget for this? Do we have a budget? All right, so the budget for this movie was $35 million. Um, hmm. But <clears throat> it made 44 0.5 million dollars on its opening weekend which i believe was more than the total gross of scream 5 mm. well they really they really put a lot of money into marketing or five cream if we <laughs> yeah. i mean it makes sense i have i have strong feelings about five mm. <laughs> i love i loved five um <clears throat> but I, th- I believe so far as of uh yesterday the total world gross is at 80.5. Wow. Congratulations. So it is, yeah, it is a huge success, and I have no doubt that we'll hear about Scream 7 in about a week or two. (laughs) I'll be interested to see where it lands in our um, end-of-the-year box office review. Uh, it's I uh, yeah, uh, that is going to be interesting. I mean, we just got to see where it, you know, once it finally leaves theaters. We'll see where it lands, but uh, so far it's it's trucking along pretty pretty happily. Uh, <clears throat> some trivia, which is my the IMDb tri- IMDb trivia is one of my favorite bits, and there's actually like a shitload. Oh for this boy! Movie. No Here surprise. We go. <laughs> IMDb trivia is like what teachers th- used to tell you <laughs> Wikipedia was like. It's just a bunch of fucking internet mercenaries out there putting up whatever facts or non-facts. I trust Wikipedia <laughs> way more than oh, IMDb. Oh, yeah, by leaps and bounds. But, you know, what? I, a lot of these I know are, you know, correct. So, f- first one that I found very interesting, even though Courtney Cox and Roger Jackson have been in all six of the Scream movies... In this movie is the first time Ghostface and Gail Weathers have ever spoken over the phone. Uh, Nev Campbell was asked to be in this movie, but they couldn't afford her. She declined to participate because they couldn't come to an agreement on her pay rate. And you know what? Good for you, Nev. Stick to your guns. Yeah, and from what I hear, everybody involved in the project who did sign on is very supportive of her decision to do so. Yeah, I don't think there was any like ill will or anything. Everyone was like, you know what? Good for you. We just can't swing it. <laughs> and everyone, you know, was like, okay. Narratively, I think it works. I think they did a nice workaround. I think it didn't come off as too, you know, shoehorned yeah. or goofy. Especially, yeah, especially with the, well, it wouldn't make any sense. It made sense in Scream 5 for her to come back to Woodsboro because she has like a attachment to that mm. place. So anytime Ghostface shows up in Woodsboro, she's like, all right, I'm going to start kicking down doors. <laughs> but why would she go to New York? You know, we've already established in five that she has a family that she's trying to take care of. She didn't need to involve herself. And I think it it leaves plenty of room for these other, like, newer actors that were in five. I think these characters really start to come into their own in this movie in a way Mm -hmm. that I could not see happening in a million years compared to five. Now, did you, uh, did you, like, not enjoy the the characters in scream five you know the new characters i the thing is i did i didn't like any of the performances in five i thought five came off as really flat really cw uh i i yeah i just 
I just wasn't sold on it. I felt like Courtney Cox was like barely even there, like mentally. It felt like Courtney Cox was just in a bunch of shots and not like Gail Weathers. Like it, it seemed like she just showed up and read the lines, and they did something really weird with her eyes that made them like uh, White Walker blue. They were like so piercing blue that it was the only thing I could see whenever she was on screen. But then I wa- I'm watching Six, and I'm like, okay, she she brought Gail Weathers this time. That's great. I actually kind of enjoyed her in the fifth one more than like any of the new cast. I think for me, like Mindy is really the only standout. I find kind of the well, uh, Tara Jenna Ortega's character is also maybe a standout for me, but I find the rest of them kind of dull. And I think for me, like that continued into the sixth one. I feel like uh, Dewey, Gale, and Sydney all had like a really strong sort of like chemistry together that like really worked and i don't think any of the new cast sort of has that that vibe together which i think in my opinion makes both five and six suffer a lot i i agree with you on uh on five but i think they i i think they all do come together in this movie which we'll get to you know we could we could talk more about it as we get into the the synopsis of the movie but uh Another couple quick facts. Um, apparently, there were plans to introduce Kirby, uh, <laughs> Hayden Panettiere's character, it back into the series in Scream 5, but they couldn't find Hayden Panettiere. <laughs> <laughs> a- apparently, she has no agent, and she's almost completely unreachable. I love that for her. By Hollywood. <laughs> like, like it's ext- it's extremely difficult to reach Hayden Panettiere for anything. So they couldn't find her. And then eventually they found like she a person found <laughs> who like knew a person who could contact her. And they and then she was able to, you know, <laughs> have the conversation and sign on for this movie. But I do love that they were just like, we just don't know where she was. Someone send a raven to Hayden. <laughs> Can't get her by phone. <laughs> I actually genuinely love that for her. I hope she's at peace at all times. I <laughs> <laughs> think that might be it for, like, I think those are the most, like, interesting. I got a quick little story about oh, yeah? uh, the ghost face mask. I, this movie really puts a lot of emphasis on the different masks worn by the different ghost faces over the years. Yeah, it is a highlight of the movie. Luckily for us, uh, Fangoria did a really cool interview uh, with the original creator of the real-life version of the Ghostface mask before Ghostface was even on screen. So it was 1990, a special effects uh, makeup artist working in L.A., uh, Lauren, Lauren Githers... Uh, was kind of in a, a slow period uh, in their studio where they weren't really working on a whole bunch of other movies and Halloween was coming up and they were working on some designs for their own Halloween costume. Uh, you know, they work with a bunch of other like special effects makeup artists, so everybody kind of goes crazy and lets it all mm. out on Halloween. They were looking for a way to kind of do an updated version of the like sheet the bed sheet ghost kind of look so they designed uh this long faced 
very, very similar to the ghost face, like, you know, look with the long eyes and the long wailing mouth. It was a huge hit. So him and a few other, you know, artists decided like, all right, let's, you know, put a couple masks together. We'll sell them at the Halloween, like mega convention in Chicago. They blew through all their masks. Like it was a huge staple of their sales. They flew through, completely sold out of them. You know, on that success, they were like, all right, let's come up with a couple other masks and we'll release like a whole series of these guys. So they came up with this brand, Ghost Maker, and it was like uh, a couple different versions of the same like ghost face style. Like if you watch like Scary Movie, and some of the other like parodies mm. you'll see some of those other old designs where it's like more of a laughing face with pointy eyes or like more of a I was going to make face. a scary movie joke. <laughs> I was going to say when did they add the one with the tongue sticking out? Yeah, that's it, exactly what that. That one with the tongue sticking out is very similar to one of their original 6. Uh, <laughs> but fast forward to 92 uh scouting different locations for scream the original and in the script all they have for the description of the mask is a ghostly white mask so they don't have any like design or anything nailed down and one of the people who were on location scouting walked into a like some kid's room and found the wailing long jaw which is the name of the original design of the ghost face mask. <laughs> Imagine if we just referred to him as Wailing Longjaw. <laughs> oh my god, it's Wailing Longjaw. <laughs> I think it's so gross. It I doesn't really roll off the tongue for like a <laughs> horror movie film, though. No. Not as well as yeah. Ghostface is nice and snappy. They show it to Wes and the other uh, production designers, and they're like, well, we want to make our own mask. We don't want, like, something that already exists. We want to do, like, our own original thing. And it was kind of like, all right, well, I guess that's that. But then they're, you know, like, two weeks out from, like, screen testing, like, all of their stuff, and they're like, fuck, we need a mask. And they brought it back to the table and were like, let's go with this mask. This mask is cool. It's all over the place. Like, let's go with this mask. They, you know, they got the rights from uh, their, like, ghost face mask company. So it was all official and everything. Then after, like, the major success of the first film, they decided to rename the Wailing Longjaw as Ghostface. So it's just another one of those weird life imitating art imitating life throughout the whole Scream <laughs> franchise. Like, you know, you have the first movie that's all true crime stuff that gets turned into a book by Gail Weathers, then gets sold into a movie script, and it's just, like, this weird cycle that, like, surrounds yeah, this that's, franchise. That's awesome, though. I, again, I still... You know what? I, I'm gonna stand by I like a Wailing Long Jaw. Me too. I think we should... I think we should go... We should yeah, let's refer to it to as Wailing Long Jaw from here on out. <laughs> Wailing and, and yeah, for the rest of the podcast, and Wailing Long Jaw shows up. We're gonna get tripped up by that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess uh, I, I, I'm I'm ready to start talking about yeah. this uh, this movie. I'm How about ready. you guys? Okay, so uh, Scream Six. Where do we start? All right, so this uh, movie opens up like every Scream movie with a a sort of uh, cold open featuring a 
famous actress that could easily lead the movie, but is, you know, summarily killed off very quickly so we can get back to the characters that we know about. In this movie, we have uh, it opens up in a crowded bar room, which is different because almost I think every screen movie starts with uh, and I guess the second one opens up in a very crowded place. For the most part, though, because they're always the, residential, right? It's yeah, always like they're almost house. always. Yeah, it's almost always like somebody alone in a house. Scream two, uh, somebody gets killed in a crowded movie theater. Um, so this is the first time since Scream two where there's been like a open, a cold open, with the murder taking place in a very public setting. Um, but yeah, we start with uh, Samara Weaving. I don't know the name of her character because it doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> She's professor, professor of film of slasher <laughs> studies, I guess. The coolest yeah. fucking job I ever heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, she's I waiting, wish she's I waiting was at a bar. Uh, she's all, you know, gussied up for a date. <clears throat> she's uh, Laura a Crane. Blind, a blind date. I, I get Laura Crane. Wow. Wish we could have kept her around. But yeah, so she's gussied up for a date, a blind date. Um, she's getting text messages from him. The guy that she's supposed to meet is like running late and then he can't find the place uh so she you know gets on the phone with him and we finally get to like hear her act with like her australian accent which nobody ever lets her use which is a shame because she sounds amazing yeah like i don't know why we always force her to use american accents i kind of thought it was fake (laughs) i didn't know she was australian i've never understood why we force like there's so many movie and tv roles where, like, British or Australian actors are forced to use American accents, where them being British or Australian would have no impact on the character. <laughs> you know? And it's like, why do we force them to use an accent that's not natural to them? It just feels weird to me. So I like that they were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Be Australian. Who cares? She So she gets on the phone to try and, like, guide this, this person that she's supposed to be meeting. Um... To, to the bar she goes outside because he's like oh i think i'm on i'm a street over there's an alley you know what's the color of the building there's an alley by there is it you know is there an alley by your building and she goes oh yeah i you know i see it but i don't see you uh so she ends up like walking down the alley uh, and the guy starts to be like she does she does say that like you know she, she, at some point in the conversation that she's a professor of film she's a not even a professor. She's like a junior professor or something of film studies, but she studies specifically twentieth mm. century <laughs> like slasher films. Uh, is her specialty? It's so and, funny. She's on the phone with this guy complaining. She's like, "Yeah, you know, it sounds all nice and fancy, but like, try and get a bunch of twenty-something-year-olds to give a shit about slasher movies." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, that, <laughs> I would. I would take that class. I would be <laughs> ass in seat. 20 minutes early for this class. Apple on the desk. Yeah. <laughs> Bow tie on. <laughs> yeah, but think about how annoying think about how annoying the the student I would, body be, would be I would be the young Sheldon of this class. I would show up every- <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> so prepared for this. That's why she hates it. Um so eventually, uh, you know, you get like some like f- fun, you know, stuff where the, the the guy on the other end is like, oh, there's 
there's somebody in the alley, but I don't think it's you. Oh, he's, he's coming towards me. He's got a knife. And, like, she does a really good job of, like, acting very concerned and, like, scared. Like, she's she's such a good actress. Uh, yeah, I hate, I hate that we could only have her for this little bit, but I'm also grateful. But, like, just put, like, can we get her in more stuff? She's so good. Uh, one of my pet peeves with this scene is, like, the alley is, like, 20 feet like, <laughs> long. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You can see that you can see the opposite end of it like very easily. So it like doesn't feel like I'm not seeing anybody. Maybe you're in a different alley. It just felt like. Well, you know, I felt it was kind of like, you know, clear. I think it was the kind of thing where like they both (laughs) knew. Well, I mean, you know, if this was a normal rom-com or something, they both knew that they were not in the right Mm -hmm. alley. But it's like, you know, what do you, you're, I don't know. It's like, she, she clearly. Which right, is you're just like kind of reacting because, like, obviously she's aware of horror tropes, but like in real life, like you know, it's it's in such a public setting, you don't really ever. Which I th- I think is a reason why this movie mm. works so well and is so scary is because like a lot of the times, y- like your default thing is to like get to a crowded place, then you'll be safe, you know. But that this movie, me, like right out of the gate is like, but no. <laughs> like we're not gonna let you run to like a place where people are and suddenly Ghostface isn't there anymore. It's like it's this totally shakes it up. But um so yeah, so she ends up walking you know, walking down the alleyway and uh, you know, the 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 guy on the other end is like he he's at first pretending that he's being chased by somebody, but then he quickly snaps into like ghost face voice. You know what the real scary thing is? That you're a professor uh, of horror movies and still you walked into a dark alley by yourself you know <laughs> and then uh, i think there's like a fake out jump scare of like some people making noise down the alley and then it's like oh never mind but then she turns to like face a different direction and then ghostface jumps out of nowhere and just stabs the absolute shit out of her the 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 nobody dies in this movie without like at least like seven stabs in them. Like the the there is so. Also, nobody dies in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> lots of people die. Lots of people die in this. I think this movie has a higher body count than any other Scream movie. True. No, yeah, way. it has the highest no, body count and the highest amount Maybe of survivors. It is. Who? Yeah, I think it's just who well, even lo- dies. Lo- <laughs> we'll get there. Lots of people. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, so so Ghostface jumps out and just stabs the fucking shit out of Samara Weaving, and she she does such a even dying, she does a great job acting. Rest um, in peace. She's screaming her fucking head off, and absolutely no one in the city could give a single fuck. Cause guess what? It's New York. Yeah, she's yeah. like five feet <laughs> but into it's the alley. New York. Who gives? I'm walking here. Also, I believe this scene was filmed because this actually was the first screen movie not film where parts of it were filmed out of the U.S. Uh, a lot of this was filmed in Canada. Um, so this might this 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 tiny of alley course. might be a Canadian alley. You say yeah. a lot of. I would argue most of. It's all. I'd of say I ninety five percent of this movie was filmed in Montreal. <laughs> that was something uh, my brother picked up on. I went to go see it with him, and uh, he, he was watching the credits and he was like, "Look at all these French names. I don't know that key grip. <laughs> I don't know that fucking prop guy. These are all French people. What the fuck? None of this was shot in New York." <laughs> No, a lot of it, yeah, was was shot in Canada. So, so there, the I think that explains the tiny alley for you there, Dylan. Mm. Um, that makes sense. C- Canada, famous for small. They're alleys. tiny alleys. <laughs> tiny alleyways. You can see from one to the other, no problem. 
built for safety. Um, <laughs> but the, so the fun thing about this cold open, though, because, you know, we're six screen movies in. Like, how many different versions of this this opening scene could we have? Like, how do we, you know, how do you shake it up? Because we had the... I, I think the the most the wildest one was Scream Four, where it's like a, mo- oh a movie God. and a movie and a movie and a movie, <laughs> you know, and it keeps like, and it's like, but why would why would the opening of Stab Five be it in the beginning of Stab Six? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, I liked the sc- opening of the fourth Scream. That's I amazing. Was, I would have I never like imagined you would have enjoyed that because I I recently rewatched <laughs> it and I was like, oh my god, can we stop? I love Anna Paquin. Shout out to. I Anna actually Paquin. spend a lot of <laughs> anytime I watch a horror movie. A, at the end of it, I go, now would, what would Dylan think about this? Movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I actually I think I think this opening was like one of my least favorites. Least I, favorites? Oh yeah. I think that I liked in five, like to me, like the twist of five, I liked the, you know, the technology integration and like, you know, tying everything to your phone, whatever. But I also yeah, liked fine. that she survived. Like to me, like that's right. a good subversion because you're expecting whoever's in the intro to die. Right. It's always up, a famous, you know. it's always like a big, right. big famous person. I mean, Scream 4 had like a, 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 like a handful of famous blonde chicks, just like, like six right. of them all dying, like right. out of the gate. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, but yeah. So I, but I like how five. I love the cold open of five. How you know Jenna Ortega lives. But I like this one mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. so after Ghostface stabs the shit out of um, Samara Weaving, he, you know, does his. I think he does his like traditional like blade wipe with his hands. Um, and then he just takes his mask off. And guess what? It's the it's the bully from Spider Man. It's fucking Flash. It's fucking Flash Thompson. Also, the, I think he's in, like, Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Um, oh, the, is that him? Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I just rewatched that movie recently. I love that movie. Also, he's in the... He, for for maybe the one other person that has watched it, he's he's in the uh, Disney Plus Willow sequel TV series. Ooh, <laughs> you're going to throw your back out reaching so far. Uh, I just I know because I watched it recently and he was in it. But I, know, I, I said the bully in Spider-Man because I feel like that's – I think know maybe Graham Budapest Hotel is probably his more that's for the, popular That's role. for the Dylans of the of – the, of the, of the Oh, sorry. You know, that's for the artsy guys. And oh, okay, movies. okay, okay. Graham Budapest. Uh, he's the kid from Graham Budapest. The concierge. Come on, man. Um, and then so he just – but that's what I love about this opening. So it's all dramatic and like the music is like, you know, and the stabbing sounds. It's also loud. And then it ends and like everything gets like really quiet and he just kind of takes off his mask and it just becomes very like mundane. And he's like, meh, you know, yeah, it and just then he just totally goes, deflates, just goes home. And you're like, whoa, Ghostface never takes off his mask. And like also like, well, I mean, he does. But like, you know, with the tw- at the 20 minute mark left with 20 minutes to go. Uh, he doesn't take it off at the very beginning, and so it's like so. I, I was I was wondering what direction this movie was going to take. Cause I was like, oh well, are we supposed to like just know who he is the whole time? You know, I thought it was like you know a, a fun way because now we're following. Now we follow Ghostface, which never happens. You know, we never get to see what he's doing after the murder. Yeah, like you said earlier, like it's it. Scream is always like a who done it kind of vibe where we don't know 
who Ghostface is. So to open up and immediately give us like, hey, this is this is a Ghostface. Check this out. He killed the guy. Uh, check. Now we're gonna roll with him. And so we follow um, Flash Thompson. You know, Ghostface home. He actually ends up walking past on his way home, walking past um, Tara, who, so it's like, a, is it Halloween or is it it's around the, Halloween? It's the weekend right before Halloween. Halloween. Weekend. It's like the 28th or something. Right. So everybody's having their, ho- all the frats are having these Halloween parties because it takes place a lot of it on like a, uh, what college of New York is this? I, I don't Made I, up. I'm pretty sure. I don't made know. Up college. Made up college. Is scream, it made up? Scream you. <laughs> um, so he ends up walking home, like back to his, uh, way too nice of apartment for a uh, college student. <laughs> oh, this, this apartment is definitely paid for by somebody's parents. By, money. by a daddy. Yeah. This a is daddy. Daddy. Uh, so he, he walks home, he ends up walking past Tara who's dressed as like a pirate. I think it's a VHS. Yeah. I think it is a VHS reference. Um, to a character in that but he he runs into tara and he's trying to convince tara in this brief interaction that like oh you know are you coming out to the party you should you should invite sam you got to get sam out to this party and she's like that's totally your job like i i literally couldn't care less my sister shows up yeah also super shady because imagine just going to college on your own because sam isn't going to this college so like imagine just going to school and then people being like yo can you invite your sister who isn't enrolled here <laughs> like anytime you go anywhere i mean i don't know how many other college like college college guys you ever met but i don't think i've ever met a single yeah, one guess. of them that wasn't like hey invite your hot sister hey hey bring an extra hot chick <laughs> let's keep the ratio up bring your hot sister <laughs> <laughs> you got it's always you always got to consider the ratio <laughs> But yeah, so I, I believe that this this character's name is is Jason. So Jason, he makes his way home. <laughs> is it? He finally gets there. Yeah. He, he takes the... Uh, oh yeah, uh, this movie is just filled. All the characters are references to, to horror, horror yeah. stuff. Of course. Uh, except for Kirby, who's a Nintendo reference. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the ultimate horror. The all-consuming Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, every, she just co- consumes all she touches. Um so Jason gets home, he opens up, he immediately goes to a closet, opens it up, and it's like a, it's like, you know, uh, in Hey Arnold, where Helga had that, like, um, shrine made out of chewing gum to Arnold. <laughs> Dedication. <laughs> he opens yeah. that up, and I swear, he might as well have six chewing gum ghost face masks, because, like, that's all this thing is. There's, like, candles and posters, and he's got, like, three different ghost face masks in there. He takes the one from his backpack and, like, gently puts it on there, and it's like, all right. Cracks um, me up because it's covered in blood and he just puts it on there and he's like, all right, that's fine. No big deal. I just have tons of murder evidence in here. I'll just leave this well, right on the head. It, <laughs> well, you know, it's fine because it makes it makes sense um, in the context of the movie because as he like closes the closet, he gets a phone call and it's from his roommate who we quickly find out via context clues that they're both... some sort of like ghost face like fanatics enthusiasts where they want to they clearly are training to like follow in the footsteps of previous ghost faces like they want 
to be murdered. They're obsessed with Richie's no. vision. So, like, weren't they, they friends yeah. with Richie? Is that was no. that what happened? No, it's no, been no. A I don't days. think they were. So, I think they just. Well, they might have been friends via the the quote the uh, online forum that they all Reddit. met each other from. <laughs> But they're, like, obsessed with Richie's vision of restarting the franchise, the Stab franchise, and basing it off true events. So they're working their way up to trapping Sam and Tara into some murder conspiracy so that they can fulfill Richie's vision. Yeah. Uh, and so, But so uh, Jason, you know, gets this call from his roommate, and then... Quickly, I think that I, I don't know if Im- I think it's immediately he's he answers it and the roommate is using the ghost face voice and mm-hmm. Jason Jason goes, "Hey, we promised we never use the voice on each other." And I'm like, "What a weird relationship you guys have!" Like, imagine having to have that conversation, be like, "All right, we're gonna murder people, but like, let's promise we'll never do the ghost face voice to each other." And it, it's like, "All right, bro. All right, bro. You want, you want to watch some more Downton Abbey?" <laughs> <laughs> It made me laugh because, like, clearly they've had lots of very, like, domestic conversations about their, like, murder plot. (laughs) I could just imagine them, like, sitting in front of a movie with a whiteboard, like, all right, so we have our voice modulator. I don't like it when you do it to me. Don't do it to me anymore. (laughs) Come on, bro. Don't use that with me. (laughs) Oh, I don't like that. It scares me. Um, but yeah, so we, we get like a, a, a little, another, like, you know, more classic tense sort of ghost face scene, which is a, w- another reason why I like this. Cause it, at first you're like, Ugh, I, I, this is another phrase I don't like because it's now overplayed is it, it subverts your expectations bleh, uh, by like being like, Oh, we're just following ghost face now. But then it takes it back where, where now Jason is involved in a ghost face call that he never thought he would that he always thought he would be on the other end of and he kind of like do a little game of hot and cold which is like not a game that anybody plays i don't think mm. but maybe i'm wrong like ever <laughs> i mean i used to play it a lot when i was younger <laughs> yeah i don't think as adults anyone does this unless they're <laughs> trying to do some weird nefarious ghost face activities yeah. He does a little hot and cold game, and then eventually uh, leads Jason to the refrigerator, where just like the Green Lantern, he opens it up and his girlfriend's dead inside, except instead of a girlfriend, it's his roommate. Um, You get the full view of this, like, uh, also kudos to Ghostface, the real Ghostface, for being able to fit all those body parts in a tiny, like, college fridge. It's like Tetris. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big Tetris move. That's that's a hefty task to to fit all those body parts in that fridge, and he did it pretty well. Was uh, every and, part in there? I kind of just like focused on the face. As far as I remember, I didn't like uh, take it's inventory. The, it's like it's like torso and head, and at least an arm, which is still a lot. You know? There's that's no way you're fitting that into like a college refrigerator. <laughs> like, there's gonna be like what are you talking like, about? What Chinese kind of college food? refrigerators do you guys remember that were maxed out by food? They're always fucking empty. It's like. You got mustard, a jar of pickles, and that's it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? My fridge was stuffed. I was very efficient with my refrigeration storage. <laughs> but anyway, so as right as Jason, like, he whips open the fridge. He's terrified by finding his roommate all carved up. And then he turns around and Ghostface is there. And But this time it's a Ghostface 
and the mask is like all cracked and gray and like like it, it looks so adding that little bit of like distressing to the mask makes it look so much better yeah the weathering yeah i love the wet the weathered masks in this movie i i think it adds just a a little bit of texture to Ghostface that makes him just like i i I think the ghost face in this movie is the scariest one i don't know maybe maybe the one in five and six i think are the scariest ghost faces wow really see to me like the distress of the mask felt like i don't know like two halloween ends for me which is like in my opinion is not a <laughs> it's not a uh an entry that you want to like follow suit <laughs> with you know what i mean i fucking hated halloween ends all right well you, sh- you what you're get- we're going to have to do another podcast about that one um <laughs> That's a whole argument by itself. Please. But uh, but no, I really liked I I actually liked the distressed ghost face mask in this one, especially given the theme of the movie of counting down from the, you know, to the first movie and like yeah. each time like it's using a different mask, you know, and they distress it differently, mm. you know. I I just I I like the effort that was put in and I think the like flat white, you know, the real clean one, it, mm. it is is a little too um, Phantom Halloween, you know, for me, I like the the effort of the distressing uh, to to just be, you know, obviously if it's the killer's first outing, you know, make his mask clean. But as the sequels go mm-hmm. on, they got to get dirtier. That's why I liked the Halloween <laughs> mask because I love that it's just like shitty now because it's been like sixty years. In fiction, they're just fucking shitty, like you know, Halloween masks. So like both of them. So like. They would obviously, over, you know, a 20, 30-year period, degenerate. They're like rubber. Like, rubber... I mean, I guess I don't know, like, the scientific, like, structure of rubber. Like, I don't know if it's going to be No, I think Dylan's not, like, right. I think, if especially if they're being kept in police evidence, they would be right. fine. There's so much, like, reverence for the masks in this story that, like, the fact that it was distressed just, like, felt silly to me, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, they're... All of these masks are kept in these glass cases. Like, why the fuck is this one dirty and, like, old? Like, it's silly. The rest of them weren't old. And, like, what did the first one happen, like, three years prior to the second one? Like, come on. Well, you know, I mean, I agree. It might not make sense, but I I like the aesthetic of it. I I see. I love the the way it looks, and I think that outweighs like whether or not the masks would actually be like this like crumbly mm. and crackly <laughs> like obviously yeah. like probably not but like you know what sometimes it's about the showmanship and i and i appreciate it especially because this movie incorporates all of the masks worn by previous ghost faces and i like that they added different distressing <laughs> to each one to pull, Did they? To pull okay. them apart from yeah, each they're other they're all like individualized yeah, each each one has a different each one has a different type of like, you know, and I I can't speak to if they, you know, dis, like thought about what it would look like given the events of the movies that they were involved right. in. Probably not. Probably because not. Because that seems like a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, like I, I think nobody's fucking you know, paying attention. But to I that. like that they all look different regardless. Like it makes me. It's kind of like ha- seeing like you know you go to the Bat Cave. You know, and you see mm. all you the, see all the Batman bat has suits. all his su- suits lined up, and you're like, "Oh, I remember that from this one. I remember that from this one." You know, so I I, I thought it was 
it was a good little like e- like treat for everyone who's been watching the whole time. So I, you know, that's why I liked it. But uh, it just felt like out of place. Like the, I don't know. It didn't feel like deliberate. Like it just felt like yeah, we got to change yeah. it up. Let's um, <laughs> let's put some fucking dirt on it. <laughs> but anyway, so so we so uh yeah, Ghostface strikes down Jason. And that's when we get the title card that Dylan was talking about before, which means it's the real first Here's kill. Here's the start. So we have a different ghost face that we don't know who they are. And then we immediately cut to uh, back to our actual protagonist, Melissa Barrera, as Sam Carpenter. Which also, I love that they, you know, they're the Carpenter sisters. You know, shout out to John uh, Carpenter. John, yeah. You know, okay. just a little moment of silence for John. Wait, I thought he was alive. He's definitely still alive. <laughs> I thought Wes Craven's dead. He's not making as many movies anymore. Okay, but he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, but he's just doing music with his son, you know? Hey, it's good. I listen to it all the time. Is it? Yeah, it's really good. He makes really good synth music. <laughs> so we cut right to uh, Sam is in therapy with possibly the worst Barf. therapist I've ever seen. <laughs> He is, he's, he sucks. The least professional therapist I've ever he seen in any movie. Because he's, like, she's in therapy for all the shit that went on in her life prior to Scream 5, plus, you know, all the effects of Scream 5. But we learn via context clues that she has not disclosed the details of Scream 5 to her therapist. She's just, like, claimed, like, oh, something happened uh, it was traumatic. Me and my sister are having problems dealing with it. She's not dealing with it the way I want her to. Uh, and he's like, "Listen, you have. I'm your therapist. You, if we're gonna make any progress, you have to tell me what's going on." And then she tells him. She goes, "Okay, well, you know, blah blah blah. These are the events of Scream Five. Like, my father's a serial killer, Billy Loomis. Gail Weathers wrote a book about him." They made a movie about that. Um, and the, immediately, before she even gets any further, the doctor is doing like a like, like <laughs> a three stooges. Like you can almost see the cane like trying to drag him like backstage. Like he's like, ay, 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 like <laughs> I love how he immediately starts writing shit down. It's like, I, could you give her two Feverish seconds? note taking. <laughs> Right, like feverishly scribbling in his notes, like, ooh, gotta get out of here. And as she's talking, she's like, you know, I, you know, and the worst thing about it is like, you know, I killed, I, you know, I, my, my boyfriend was trying to murder me. So I had to murder him and this other girl and I shot him in the face. But that's not even the worst of it. The worst of my, you know, trauma is that like, it felt good. Like it felt right to murder him. And then the doctor is like, I uh, I can't help you. You're gonna have to get out. Um, the, that's the a yikes. <laughs> yeah, he, he was basically just like, oh, well, I, I love don't that do he, anything about this. I love <laughs> that just, he's like, he, I have to report you for this, and then that like never comes up. <laughs> yeah, he goes, I'm gonna have to report you, and she's like, for what? I didn't say I was gonna murder anybody. I just was trying to tell you what you wanted me to tell you. <gasps> um, I just said I definitely did murder someone, but, it's like, but that crime was already settled. Clearly, you know, like, yeah, this is not how like that clause works. It's like if you are presenting an imminent threat to yourself or anyone else, then they have to report it. But if you're like, I did a thing and here's the way I feel about the thing that I did, 
that's that's totally within the realm of like patient mm. doctor yeah. confidentiality. You can't really. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm gonna drop you as a yeah, client and also I'm gonna call the cops. The worst doctor. He sucks. <laughs> like he has no business being a therapist. If this is how he reacts to to this scenario. This this act this choice of this actor casting wise cracked me up because like with the beard and like everything else he's got going on he looks like Walmart uh, George Clooney dude yes <laughs> I really I really thought that like he was gonna like end up being more involved but I love how he just wrote himself out of the movie immediately you know he was like ah no 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 I'm not, get out of here. Uh, and so, you know, given that, like, shitty interaction, Sam, you know, dip, dips out of her... So much uh, character development. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she, you know, she's just trying to g- get on. Oh, uh, This is where we also learned that, like, there was some sort of, like, internet campaign that was formed to try and convince people that Sam orchestrated all of the events and murdered her. Basically... Richie's plot from the first movie is like kind of working as far as the internet's concerned because yeah. everybody believes that she murdered everybody. I feel like the idea of like so many people like jumping on the wagon of this fucking losers like Reddit theory, like it's just a little bit ridiculous for me. Like, I find it to be extremely believable given the current state of the world the national news is like i find it super believable yeah really? oh my god what yeah I don't dude know. i can imagine like a shitload of neckbeard reddit dudes totally being but like making like it. public access television like i can't imagine i mean maybe i don't watch enough of it but like i can't imagine like some weird like who the fuck cares about this girl in new york like nobody's going to be following this right this news. but you know I, I think that the directors you know have they they've even openly stated you know that like they understand that like some of the things that happen are a little bit unbelievable but they believe mm. that's kind of like key to scream and to horror in general is like if you want to just like have a depressing actual you know news story you can just go you can just like open the news section of your iphone you go read you know? but the it news, should be yeah. it should be a little fantastical which is like where where i mm. land you know i get it mm-hmm. like obviously like in the real world would this this wouldn't even make any sort <laughs> yeah. of news this would For make sure. no news at all. It would be not relevant. <laughs> Nobody would care about it. Wow, Maybe a day another or two. fucking killing. Like it happens yeah. every fucking day. I don't know, man. It, it, if you look at the current news cycle, look at look at that guy that killed those fucking coeds a couple uh, months ago. That was like fucking headline news for months. I literally never heard about that. Really? I never heard about it. But but you know what? You know what would make would actually make waves if there was an actual masked serial killer. If there was somebody with a like marketable like identity murdering people, 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 if there was like somebody with an actual masked identity murdering people, mm. that would would make news because I don't think there's ever been a serial killer who's like been like Jason or Ghostface, we've never actually had, like, a real masked killer, right? No, we we have, but the thing is... I don't fucking watch the news. I don't think anybody's paying attention to, like, you know, 
well, I guess I'm speaking for myself only, but like, I'm not gonna pay attention. I, I was about to say, let me tell you, you're 100% <laughs> wrong because I, every time there's like some big, you know, murder story in the news, I'm like, all right, what's going on here? And if it ever stacks up to anything more than one story, I'm like, all right, I'm dialed into this. I got Google alerts. That's fair. Like, what, let's see what happens. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of checked out, so I can't really like speak for like the general yeah, public. I, I've also uh, voluntarily checked out about a lot of stuff. I just need fake murders. Only fake murders. Real fake murders. But anyway, so uh, Sam Carpenter uh, leaves her doctor's office. She gets home to her, like, super nice apartment. I don't know. I I would like to know what all these people do to afford this place in New York. What are you doing for work, Sam? it, this is the this is the most believable uh, living situation in this movie because you have uh, the both Carpenter sisters live here. Their friend, um, her friend Quinn lives She's there. The, the the vixen of the movie. Respect to her. I love Quinn. Respect to Quinn. Um, but it's just those three, right? They're 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 the only three that live there, right? Or do. No, don't don't Chad and they, do they uh, also live there? His sister lived there they too. They might. They they actually they might. We're discussing like <laughs> the rent situation in Scream. Yeah, six, you're right. I don't like, know. Who, who the cares? fuck cares? Anyway, <laughs> Sam gets back to her house. She has a she initially she gets in and there's some like you know scary noises uh, that you think oh maybe somebody's being attacked, but no. Quinn's just fucking her boyfriend that we never see. We never we hear well, his voice we don't get, like, multiple we times, see, but we never. Well, we see we parts see of him. <laughs> we never. We don't see yeah, we're not him. introduced to him. We never meet him. Um, you know, uh, Quinn comes out and she's like, "Oh, was I being too loud?" And Sam's like, "Oh no, no, never mind." But have you seen Tara? And then Quinn's like. Don't be mad, but like she went to a party. Uh, so, so we get the kind of vibe that like since the events of Scream Five, where Tara and Sam came back together after being estranged. Now it's like the opposite of estranged, where Sam just can't let Tara be alone for even like a second. Uh, and then we cut to the party that Tara is at with the rest of the uh, the group. Uh, you get a little. A quick little flash through. There's actually somebody in like a ghost face mask, but it's like a uh, Rastafarian ghost face mask. Like it's got the like, you know, red, yellow, your green, like Bob Marley vibe to it. But yeah, we're there at the party with Tara and Mindy and Chad and they're all chilling. We kind of get to see that Mindy is moved on and she has a right because her girlfriend died in the five right she didn't really have a girlfriend she no she wasn't she didn't like have a partner she was just like did she flirting with this random person no and the Uh, i mean everybody got kicked out of the house like before shit really went down anyway so we get to this party uh jenna ortega's character tara you know is she's getting a little sloppy Respect. Um, and she meets this like kind of this guy that like could or could not be sleazy probably was just to you know cover our bases statistically speaking definitely sleazy does anybody remember his name his name is paul oh. he's credited as paul 2.0 <laughs> i don't know what that means oh my god <laughs> but uh yeah whatever 
But like she, um, you know, he starts to like lure her up to like the room, but she's like, you know, okay with it. Um, But I kind of liked how the group is sort of protective because like everybody's there. Mindy and Chad are there. Um, Chad's there with his new roommate. Uh, What's his name? Ethan. Uh, Ethan. Roommate Ethan. Sure. Uh, He's there with Ethan, who's dressed as a character from a movie that I can't remember the name of, but I know it's Murder Party. Murder Party. Yes. He's the knight from Murder Party. He's the knight from Murder Party. Um, which is like such a deep cut. I don't think anybody got that one. I did not. Yeah. So, uh, but eventually, uh, oh, also with Mindy is Mindy's now girlfriend, Annika. Annika and Mindy try to stop Tara from going upstairs with this guy. And then they like flag down, um, Chad and, uh, you know, the, Chad and uh, Paul have this like bro guy sort of confrontation. But then as they're like kind of doing the, you got a problem, bro? They're just like shoving each other back and forth. I love how uh, Sam shows up and she goes, hey, how you guys doing? Uh, I'm just going to tase you in the balls real quick. And just goes, <laughs> and immediately just like. Just fucking lights this dude's crotch up. Oh my God. Uh, Sam tases the guy in the balls. Uh, the whole group uh, the core four, they leave. Well, the core four plus uh, Ethan and uh, Mindy's new girlfriend. But they all are walking back to their uh, apartment. And at some point, like, somebody, like, stops the group and, like, points out uh, Sam and goes, like, aren't you, like, the girl who murdered her boyfriend? And then they, like, throw, like, an entire Slurpee on her or something. Yeah, it just completely fucks her over in public because she's in the mm-hmm. middle of fighting with Tara uh, about, like, you know, I need to protect you. I'm your big sister. You have to take your taser with you. Right, because Tara was, Tara was upset that, that she, like, you know, showed up and, and Assaulted like, caused the whole scene. And she's like, you have to let me go because, like, you didn't weren't in my life for, like, five years. And then you showed back up and we had one event and now you won't leave me alone. She brings, um, she says one really specific line that, like, stood out to me. She was like, uh, I'm not going to let three days of our lives define the rest of my life. And I, it kind of like dawned on me. I was like, oh, yeah, like the events of these movies aren't like a long, sprawling thing. This is usually like a week tops in these people's lives. Like, granted, for like the older characters, it's happened again and again and again. But like for these people, it, it happened for three days, one time. It was once. And yeah. This is now only. And the Sam kind of turns on her Dom Toretto. She's like, "Family, family, family." <laughs> I have a secret theory that this was actually a fast movie that they set in New York. Right. So nobody has any cars. So it's just the slow and the spooky. The slow. <laughs> um. So yeah. So so Sam gets you know. Like a Slurpee thrown on her because apparently just everybody knows who she is, which that, see, which that is to me like, was unbelievable. Like, what college student is watching the news and like paying attention? Here's to the some thing: fucking it's not like they're a nobody like, true crime, you know, scenario. They're like a f- they're the latest case in a phenomenon where this one town is constantly set upon by a nut job pair, a nut job duo who is, like, reenacting kills from, like, uh-huh. an old movie. 
Right. Imagine if every, you know, you know, 10 years, there was a three to four year spurt of murders where somebody wearing the same costume murders a bunch of people in the same town. And it's just like that would it would definitely make if you were involved with that, it would definitely make you more famous than we're thinking but also, like, I mean, it just didn't... look at just look at the Gabby Petito case, like in real life. Like that was one girl who was murdered by her boyfriend, and that was like literally the only thing that f- the news talked about for, for like, like yeah, fucking for at months. least a solid month. That was like all over the place. It faded out pretty quickly, but you know, there were definitely. So, like, be... if you have a lineage of people getting murdered and murdered, yeah, over and over by, like, a masked, costumed killer, like, it would probably at least make daytime television. Yeah, but what college student is watching the fucking news? Gabby Petito's boyfriend, who clearly did it, we don't even remember his name, but if he was wearing some sort of crazy mask that we could give a name to, like... <laughs> Like long jaw spooky. What was the name of it? The wailing long jaw. But also wailing long. If they long went on jaw. to create eight <laughs> movies based on these crimes, like yeah, you know what I mean. Like the real life version of what happened that the first scream events were based on was a killer in Florida, Danny Rollings, who killed a bunch of college girls, uh, like uh, the first week of school. And if we continued to make movies based on those crimes, then yeah, we would probably like recognize the people involved in it. All of this being said, it's just to establish the fact that like everybody thinks Sam's a murderer because the movie wants you to really remember that like she's tortured over the fact that like her dad is a serial killer. She feels good about having killed the people that she did kill and she doesn't really know how to deal with any of it. Uh, and also she's got to protect everybody that she does like from being killed by a different killer who likes killing. So (laughs) we, we end up going back to the apartment. Um, this is where like everybody else goes upstairs. Sam stays downstairs to like, I don't know, collect her thoughts. She just sits on like her apartment complexes. She's just waiting for that hot dude to show up. Yeah. Yeah. She's waiting for this one, (laughs) you know, this one dude shows up, he checks his mail, comes in. He's, like, clearly just this fucking, like, sexy, mysterious dude. Like, he's, <laughs> like, super hot. Like, it sh- the shot shows, like, two of the two of them, like, one in the foreground, one in the background. And it's like, all right, they're fucking. Who are you trying to fool? He's walking towards the stairs, and she's walking away from the stairs. And she hopped on him like fucking butter on toast. I right. get it. The, the movie makes <laughs> it seem it. like they don't know each other, but then... <laughs> quickly afterwards dialogue because because they're acting like they they're trained in ignoring each other because it's clearly what sam wants you that know? was fucking stupid <laughs> but uh but so they end up you know having some some lines where it's alluded to that like they're just keeping it secret for sam's sake which makes you be like oh you know it's nice that he's willing to accept like her limitations on the relationship 
It was kind of refreshing. Yeah, this guy is an un- this... unrealistically uh, fantastic. Dude. I love this he's, guy. He's great. I was prepared. <laughs> I was the second the second this guy showed up. I was prepared for him to let me down hardcore. I don't think he's unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're following the same tropes of two, where it's like my boyfriend is the killer, so my boyfriend in the second one is not the killer. You know what I mean? But like, they're like really leaning into that, like expectation that he's going to betray her in the end. But, uh, but that was nice because it made me think like, well, all right. So I did the same song and dance in my head, Dylan, where I was like, all right, so the killer in the, in five was the boyfriend. The killer in one was the boyfriend. Killer in two was not the boyfriend, you know? So I did this whole thing, but I was like, but maybe they know that I know that I know that this was that and that I, you know, so right. it ends up being like a huge spiral. Right. Doing scream motive math is like trying to suss out a strategy in rock, paper, scissors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, if I go with scissors, they might yeah, exactly. do rock, but they might know that I'm doing scissors. Because I know that they're doing rock, so I have to do paper. But they might know that I know that they're doing rock, that I'm, you know. But that's the fun of Scream, right? It's the fun yeah. of a whodunit. So. <clears throat> Their makeout session gets interrupted. Somebody's leaning over the stairwell, uh, like, banister and yelling to them, like, Sam, you got to get up here. You got to see this shit on the news. You got to get up here right now. They both rush up and they rush into the living room and everyone's, you know, huddled around the TV as they're watching the uh, re- you know evening news report about the woman who was killed at the very beginning of the movie, then accompanying that murder is the murder of their classmates. In addition to that, there's also the the footage of Sam getting Sam getting attacked in the streets, <laughs> but but it, the 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 news is portraying it as if she's some sort of unstable killer <laughs> because somebody else threw coke at her, and even the video was just like her being like, ah, why'd you do that? And like the news is like, clearly this girl is a murderer. <laughs> she's crazy. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> but so anyway, what what we end up finding out. Is that we get so um, the roommate, uh, the 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 sexy, the slutty roommate Quinn, she ends up getting a phone call from her dad, who we learn is sex positive roommate. Sex positive room. Yeah, you're right. Sex positive. So I, you know, <laughs> I I just don't ever, you know. Here's my thing. I don't find negativity in the term slutty. I know a lot of the population does, but I I find slutty to be a positive term as well. But I'll say just sex positive. If somebody calls me a slut, I love it personally. It's so funny to me. All right, so sex positive roommate Quinn gets a phone call from her father, who is a detective for the NYPD. She had mentioned earlier that her dad transfers to New York uh, because she lost, uh, I guess, a brother. The very second... That she said, you know, we, we, me, me and my dad lost my brother. I was like, mm, I don't know. Right. That Weird sounds detail. suspicious Weird to detail me. to be giving. I, I immediately clocked that one. So she's like, hey, my dad's a cop gag. So she gets on the horn with her dad and her dad's like, hey, can I talk to your friend Sam? And he's like, you're, we're going to need you. This is where we find out that the, the, at the crime scene from the cold open with Jason, the killer left Sam's bloody driver's license in the just in the middle of the crime scene, which is like a little bit on the nose, you know. Like I don't 
if I, I don't know if I was like a detective, I would be like, well, obviously Sam didn't do it. This is like the most frame job thing I've ever seen. Yeah. To me, they're not they're not even doing enough with this. Like they're wanting to play with like this like is Sam a psychopath? Is she not? But like a lot of the plot and like the narrative that they're setting up, like they don't follow through with it at all. Like, uh, like I don't think they're they're trying to trick you into thinking. I mean, I I don't know what they're thinking, right? I, I I'm I'm not part I of. I do the- know they're thinking <laughs> yeah. that they're not they're not trying to convince the viewer that Sam is the killer because we all know that Sam is not the killer. What they're doing is setting up plausible deniability to make the other characters suspicious of Sam. But I but I, I'm with Dylan. I don't think the characters ever really suspector die yeah nobody ever no at no point in this movie is anybody but maybe the off-screen police are are thinking that sam is the but, killer like, we already but did what that I do in the last is, one but i don't think that's the point of it i think that they are setting up for the future like because i i think if you're gonna have a movie where maybe possibly sam is the killer um you can't just do it on the first movie or the second movie. I think you have to kind of build on that, like, I don't think this movie's trying to convince you she's the killer. I think it's just setting stuff up for maybe a possible storyline down the way. Um, which I think could work, could could work See, but like to if me- you do it properly. Um, or, you know, whether she ends up being the actual villain or if it, you know, I think you could definitely, after this movie... You could definitely do one where it is possible that she's the killer. And then you can play with, like, maybe we are following, like, an unreliable protagonist, you know? But Narrator, yeah. See, like, I sort of anticipated them doing that in this one because it's, like, what they set up in the first one. So for me, But I like that they didn't. It's, like, they're repeating, like, similar... But to me, it's just, like, repetitive shit. Like, you're not doing anything... Like, you're not expanding on the themes that you set up in the first one. Like, you're, like, (laughs) is she the killer? Is she not? No, she's not. And then it's, like, a definitive, like, there's nothing, like, interesting Mm -hmm. done with that. Like, it just feels like a waste of time and a waste of, like, narrative, like, pacing Mm -hmm. to me to, like set up the same shit that you're doing in the first one and then literally doing the same shit of like she's a serial killer's daughter that's why she's stabbing him 36 times and it's just like okay i saw this in the first one what's new yeah this is actually i i think i think this might be this next scene is one of the best parts of the movie i mean you guys can for no, sure i, I thought this next scene really works so like tara and sam go out and they're like all right Sam is like, I have to go see the police. I have to go talk to the police because they found my ID at the scene of the crime. And Tara is like, well, what the fuck? Now all of a sudden you want us to split up? I'm coming with you. And she's like, no, stay here. Uh, Well, actually, you make a good point. I want you with me. I want to be able to keep an eye on you. And all of a sudden, Sam, her phone rings. And whose ID pops up? It's Richie. Richie is dead. Yeah. So... She's immediately suspicious. She, yeah, she definitely stabbed and shot the shit out of him. Yeah, so she's kind of freaked out, but she answers the phone. She's like, you know, the last person who tried to fuck with me like this got stabbed 22 times and I shot him in the head. So you really should reconsider what you're planning on doing right now. 
and Ghostface is on the other uh, end of the line, and it's just very menacing. Yeah, he, he, ba- what does he say? He's talking about, like, I want to make you suffer, I'm going to kill everyone, whatever. Yeah, he says, like, I, yeah, he basically says, I want to make sure, like, that you suffer because, you, like, you're a liar and a murderer, and I want to make sure the whole world knows it. And then, and and so let this be said, like, you know, again, we're in New York, and the two of them have, like, uh, Tara and um, Sam have left the apartment. They're just on the sidewalk of, like, a New York street. <clears throat> and as they're having this conversation, it culminates in, like, the, the phone call ending and Ghostface just popping out in full public view. And uh, I don't remember if she actually, or if he actually gets like a stab off, or not. No, he tries. He tries he to attack um, Tara. Like, oh, he grabs her, and then Tara. She Tara does like a little elbow action, um, and they shove him down, and then sprint. But they're like in full view of everything, which is I think this is where the movie really kicks off and starts to be different than other screen movies because like Tara and Sam, they like you know. Elbow Ghostface shove him into a bike rack, and then they run around the corner and they enter this like bodega, you know, where they go. You gotta help us! You gotta help us! He's coming after us! Like please, please! Uh, and there's like multiple people in this place. There's bo- there's the person who's working the the stand. There's like a big like tough looking like bald guy. Uh, <laughs> there's plenty of other people in the place. And like you have to help us. He's after us. He's after us. And in like in any other slasher or even any other scream movie, like entering this big public area, people would be th- th- now we're safe. Yeah, you almost guaranteed to despawn Ghostface. <laughs> yeah, he's despawned. Right, he won't show up anymore. But this one, it, it was such like a mind fuck for me because I was like, okay, you know now. You know, I'm used to like gauging my like when I can breathe and when I cannot breathe. You know, in in horror movies, uh, and then but Ghostface just fucking waltzes into this place, and like Tara and Sam are like screaming, and this one dude goes, "We got a problem here," and Ghostface just fucking stabs the shit out of this guy in the neck, and then proceed like a bunch of people start screaming and they run out of the place. I don't know if he does he kill anybody else besides like that first. He kills guy? two people. Yeah, he kills. So he kills the dude who's like, "Do we have a problem?" And then he kills the shop. Right, the shop worker, worker guy. He pulls out his shotgun, shotgun and he fires a shot off, and Ghostface does this like, d- like dip, duck, and dive move, you know, <laughs> and, and he like. <laughs> Like dodges out of the way, and, and then the guy, the owner of the store, is like, "Go out the back room." But then, like the, the two girls run, and they're like, "Oh, it's locked." And he's like, "Oh, wait a minute!" But then Ghostface shows up, stabs him, and then this is the first. I this has to be the first time Ghostface has ever used a gun, right? Yeah. Usually, when Ghostface has a gun, it's post unmasking, and they're just holding someone at gunpoint so that they can monologue. Right. Billy Billy Loomis's mom had a gun, but only. When she was in, like... Emma Roberts' character had a gun, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, she did. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. at the end. But only when she was outside of the costume. So this is the first time we've ever seen Ghostface use a firearm. It's not just, like, a pistol. It's a full-on shotgun, which he uses to finish off the shotkeeper. And I actually love this scene because it reminded me of when I was a kid and I saw Jurassic Park for the first time. 
you know, and you have that that uh, Velociraptor oh, kitchen around scene, and it's all quiet. You know, yeah, where they're like, where they're like sneaking around mm. between the like. I love this scene. I think is is so effective and so tense, like trying to sneak around Ghostface's like presence, and he's like, he's even more menacing because like Ghostface with a knife is scary, but like. If you throw, you know, like a popcorn machine in his way, he'll trip over it and you can at least get like another dozen yards, you know, (laughs) but this one's got a shotgun and he's clearly he knows how to use it. So, like, I thought it was like super, super scary. Uh, Plus, the fact that it's just like they went into a public place and it didn't stop him even a little bit. I thought was so frightening, really evoked like more modern fears about like mass shooters and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, That... uh, that I was like, this is like, this is effective in a new way that other horror movies, but other screen movies didn't capitalize on. So I, I really appreciated this scene. I think it's probably the most effective of, yeah. of the chase scenes in the movie. Not that the others aren't good, but, but, uh, uh, well, not that the others aren't good for me, <laughs> you know, but I think this one was the best. I was a little bit underwhelmed by this scene. Like, I feel like there wasn't enough cat and mouse, like, yeah. That's fair. Uh, like, it was sort of just like you're crouched behind one thing for like the whole sequence, and like you throw a packet of whatever the fuck you threw, and funyuns or whatever, you know. Yeah, funyuns. <laughs> I didn't necessarily find this this sequence as like tense as like because the trailer makes it seem like it's gonna be oh like, for sure it does a little bit more drawn out, and it's sort of just like you know you hide behind a shelf and that's it. Uh, I felt like a lot of this movie didn't really, you know, because in the in the first one you have like tons of good chases. In the second one, I feel like the same. Like you have good chases consistently throughout the first three. I don't necessarily um, remember Scream the Five. One, but there, like, there was a note. There's a notable like fan backlash about the lack of good chase scenes or any chase scenes mm. in Scream Five. Um, mm-hmm. So the the director has definitely made an effort to add chase scenes to this one, you know wh- whether or not yeah. they're as successful a- as you want. You know the di- the directors definitely made an effort because they they did know that like people were like Scream Five has no good chase scenes. What I liked about this is is the shortness. Honestly, like to 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 be devil's advocate, I I I thought what was really cool about this was that like. We have our little chase into it. He fucking mercs a whole bunch of people in this bodega. And then they kind of have to, you know, cat and mouse their way out of it. And as they emerge on the other side of the door and all the cops show up, they turn around and Ghostface is gone. And I kind of liked that weird breaking of the traditional, like, Ghostface, like, you know, persona, the Ghostface rules, if you will where they kind of come out of it and it's it is quick but it's immediately like oh things are different now we are not playing by the same rules we are not going right, you're off in the of, city now yeah we're in the city it's it, we're a whole new animal um and so so we end up they yeah like you said they break out of the um you know uh bodega and immediately the cops are there then we cut to a scene where Tara and Sam are with detective what's his bailey detective bailey uh detective bailey um quinn bailey's dad um they're they're in his office explaining themselves to him 
And then this is where we're introduced to special agent, FBI, uh, Kirby, whatever her name is. Reed. Hyman Hyman Panty Hair's character uh, shows up. What? (laughs) Also, like, I love that, like, Hayden Panettiere's character, Kirby, who in the fourth one thinks that after she, like, blanket answers Ghostface's, like, quiz, she's like, I won, so I guess I can go out at safe. <laughs> like, it's not some, like, deranged lunatic who's, like, <laughs> just trying to kill you. And she goes from that to, like, I'm in the FBI now. <laughs> it's so fucking dumb. <laughs> well, I, I kind of like how they try to connect the two movies, or, or the, you know, the, the, the two parts of mm-hmm. the history, because we find out that... You know, the, the case is being investigated by Kirby, who's with the FBI. So she's kind of inserting herself into this case. And she even claims she's like, like De- Detective Bailey is like, what do you even do? What's the FBI even doing here? And she goes like, well, I have a special interest in ghost face murders. Um, mm-hmm. But then we find out that her and Sam were in the same like senior class in high school. Well, Sam was a freshman while Kirby. Oh, was a Sam senior. was a freshman. Yeah, and Kirby was a senior. So they went to so high school. So they do together. know each other. So they know each other. So it's like I, I like how they wove, you know, wove in the character interactions together. There, uh, I thought it was like a, a good way to bring her in. It's a good way, too, of, like, bringing Sam and Tara, like, at least to a cooperative state with the police because right off the bat, they're like, right. all right, uh, Officer Bailey, uh, we, you know, we survived the last one and we kind of fucked up our last two uh, ghost faces. So we're used to this. You're kind of an outsider. You're kind of new to this game. We really don't feel like cooperating with you. But then, you know, their buddy shows up and it's like, all right, well, we know this girl. Like, we'll fuck with this girl. Yeah, like, cool. okay. Um, and then after that, they leave, you know, this situation. Uh, you know, Kirby is like, you know, I'm here to help. They le- Tara and Sam leave. This is where they're like bombarded by paparazzi. And who is leading the mob of paparazzi? None other than Gail Weathers, of course. And she's like... How do you feel about this situation? And Sam immediately turns around and goes to like swing at Gail. And Gail like does like a ninja dodge backwards. And she's like, I've been in this game a long time, honey. And then immediately <laughs> Jen Ortega's character comes in for yeah, a second it's so sneak attack good. and just fucking wallops her. Which I thought is so funny because I love that I love the fact that Gail Weathers is prepared for a punch, but she wasn't prepared for the second one. You know? Not the follow up, <laughs> and it's so funny because because Jenna Ortega's character comes like flying in from off screen, like so, like like with so much force, like she just comes <laughs> lunging in out of nowhere from screen left. Yeah, and it's fucking wild. That part. This is one of those moments laugh. where like I was sitting next to my brother, and he was like, "They fucking didn't film this in New York." I've never seen a precinct in New York that has grass, has a lawn. What? 
Yeah, there's no grass. He's like, I've been on the set of SVU more than this once. Is Canada. None of these motherfucking it. precincts have grass. <laughs> so, so fucking funny. Sur- surprise, she wrote another book <laughs> a- a- about like capitalizing on the the horror of other people. But it's like, you know what? Let her have it. Who cares? Like your horror, ha- like all this happened. At least let somebody benefit from Well, the from problem it. is, it's not that she just wrote it. The problem is, is she kind of put Sam and Tara in a bad light. You know what I mean? Like, she did highlight the fact that Sam is, you know, a descendant of yeah. Billy. Yeah, listen, I'm just saying Gail, Gail and, and uh, Sydney helped keep them alive. And Gail took a bullet to the gut for it. Let her write a book. <laughs> you know, she suffered. I mean, she Gail suffered didn't enough. Necessarily, Let her write like, another book. <laughs> that apartment that she. Gail we're gonna didn't visit her apartment. Like, jump in front of anybody. <laughs> we're gonna visit her apartment later in the movie, and she needs to pay bills, man. That apartment ain't cheap. Look, she's got a daytime news job in New York. I I ain't worried about Gail Weathers' financials. Listen, I am. I care about her. All right. This also just felt like recycled. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Gail Weathers' character is just like repeating the same path of the initial trilogy. Like, we start with, like, oh, Gail is a total asshole. And then by the end of the first one, she's like one of the bigger heroes in the story. Like, she sort of like saves the day. And then in the second one, we start off with, like, oh, Gail wrote a book about it. She's still an asshole. She didn't learn her lesson. So, like, to me, like, this, like, this narrative arc for Gail just feels like kind of lazy and kind of weak. Like I, I think it's more. I like, think Gail is a very stoic character. Like she's there for the people that she cares about. She she went through an arc with a with you know the love of her life and it didn't work and now she's just re, you know she's mm-hmm. retreated back to you know her core person. And she's just going to do what she's going to do. You know, she'll be there for the people that need help. Like she has no reason to involve herself in this movie, but she does because she says, you know what? I know Ghostface. They're in my hood. I know <laughs> Ghostface. I'm going to help. Like Sydney's not coming. So I got to involve myself, whether it, it, you know, is dangerous to me or not. You know, I think she's just like a stoic mm. badass, you know? Like, she doesn't give a fuck what you think yeah. about her. She'll write a book about you and make money off of it, but she'll still put her life <laughs> on the line for you, you know? Like, she's... She, I love yeah. I love Gail Weathers. Courtney Cox's character is, like, she's <laughs> awesome. Um, <clears throat> so... <laughs> I, I mean, I agree. Like, I think Gail... I, the initial, tr- like, trio really good i think they have a great balance of like personalities and like performances and stuff but like i guess like after the fact that like dewey dies and gail seems to be sort of coming to this like full circle of just like you know there's there's like room for like narrative growth and like character development and then they just like choose to like do the same recycled stuff of like the first well i think it makes i think it makes sense that after dewey's death she would retreat a little bit into her Mm. former you know Mm. behaviors and i think this movie uh we'll we'll get we'll get to it but i think i think this movie because because courtney cox has claimed i'll always play gail weathers she even said i would do it for free yeah 
I well, I love that for her. I I think isn't it in this scene where like Tara like fucking rips into her and she's like, "You're an old nobody, and the only reason you wrote that book was to you know reinflate yourself and stay relevant." Stay relevant. And it, it's a very like biting, uh, like vicious anal like analysis of Gail Weathers as a character, but also kind of like courtney cox as like an actress like in this franchise what do you mean because you have the you have the like duality of like courtney cox who's like i will play gail weathers for free no matter what and you also have neve gamble who's the main character of the franchise who's like no uh i'm worth way more than this you're gonna have to put your money where your mouth is if you want Neve to show up. But we go from their confrontation with Gail. You know, she's like, "Hey, I already talked to Sydney. Sydney's not coming. Sydney went to go, you know, keep her family safe. She's not gonna be here. So it's up to it's up to all of us." And I thought it was funny that all the other press that shows up is just like, "Oh, well, we're not interested anymore." Like that's what I. That's another part that like for me is just like. You're setting up these, like, narrative, like, paths, and then you're just ignoring them, like, consistently throughout this movie. Like, you're focusing in some, to some degree on, like, the media's, like, portrayal of this character, Sam, and, like, all these other things, but, like, the, the narrative paths and, like, her reputation and, like, how she's portrayed by, like, the city and the people she's around, like, it's just not fully fleshed out I, for in uh, my well, opinion. I, I think from from my point of view, I, I, I think the 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 cities because I never imagined like New York to be like the final resting place of the Scream franchise, right? I kind of imagine New York as sort of like a stepping stone and then we'll eventually obviously we have to end up back in woodsboro right like whether that's in scream seven or scream i don't know 12 who knows but like you know like this movie isn't where the series ends so i don't think like i never imagined like the the press part of this to be the like end all be all like the the goal of where this like oh what is what does the world think of these characters to be the the, the focus of the story I think it was just kind of like a way to establish where these characters are at in this movie um because I think ultimately like whether or not uh you know radio silence continues this series into seven or they get new people to do it I think these characters like this is this is the middle point of their you know series whether there's like one or two more movies um and I just feel like uh, it, what the 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 world at large feels about these characters is less important on the whole, as it's more of like a driving force to like influence how Tara and uh, Sam interact with each other, because like the world at large doesn't really matter it's more about like the the core the cooler four because we're gonna learn more about them Mm -hmm. because i think uh but then in my opinion like why are you wasting all of this time on like news reports you know what i mean like it just feels like to me it just feels like wasted time where when you could like 
instead use it to spend well i don't think it i don't think they spend all that much time on it you know like i think i think everybody gets their due pretty well in this movie I disagree. Um, I feel like they spend a good amount of time, like, showing the media and showing, like, outside perspectives of Sam. Like, we have the, uh, was it a psychologist or a therapist or psychiatrist, mm -hmm. whatever his title was, you know, he's sort of, like, hesitant to react to her. Like, he has this, like, reaction to her revealing, like, the truth of, like, the situation to her and he's unhappy about it then we have the girl who like throws the drink on sam and it's like there's that and then there's the news like network like report on sam and like her being the prime suspect yeah. which is just I, like, I think it's mostly that doesn't really i think it's mostly to differentiate to to like really set apart um nev <clears throat> campbell's character of um sydney like set her apart mm -hmm. because like obviously there's a correlation between like oh the first set of movies is focusing on this character this set of movies is focusing on this character but this movie is so the series is so tied into legacy you know and it, it's uh -huh. like it would be really easy to just have um sam's character follow the same through line i i think they're really trying to hammer in the fact that like I don't know. S Sydney was always very a very like uh classic um final girl type a and she evolved, you know, beyond like the 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 standard tropes as the movies went on. But she was always very like you know, she's the good guy, like we, she's she's always going to come out on top uh or like she always deserves to come out on top. But I think they're trying to set uh, like really hammer in the point that like Sam's character is you know may, like there's a little bit of ambiguity as to like what her you know motivations are or what like you know whether or not she actually like should is this you know pure person because like Cindy was like a, a pure entity right like she was just always defending defending you know her town her friends but like sam is kind of like involved she's like she's trying to like deal with the fact that she sees you know her 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 dad you know in visions and she's trying to like be a better person but she doesn't really know what to do with it like i don't know i think the movie uh, these new movies are trying to establish a different status quo for their new main character they're not trying to retread you know the Sydney press but I think that's the that's one of my biggest criticisms of the new trilogy is that they're not doing it enough it's like so it they're they're like dipping their toes into this like idea of like exploring like you know like a psychological mm -hmm. like trauma and like mental illness and like hallucinations and stuff like they're not leaning into it enough, enough? yeah and I think that in the first movie, they set up Sydney to be, like, I don't think she's always so pure because the way that they introduce Gale and the way that they introduce this doubt of, like, Sydney being, like, a character who's, like, I know what I saw, like, this is the truth and I'm, you know, this is what happened. But, like, 
the reality of it is like Sydney is like in high school. She like misidentified Cotton Weary, <laughs> and she like isn't like she's not a reliable narrator. You know what I mean? Like she, like when we are first introduced to like Sydney and this like this dynamic between Gail and Sydney, it's like I've investigated. Gail has investigated like this this whole thing and she believes that cotton weary is innocent and he was misidentified and sydney you know we're introduced as she's the heroine of the story but she's also like you're introduced to this doubt as well with sydney and i think that the way that they explore that sort of sense of like self-doubt in the first trilogy is way more interesting than what they're doing for this new trilogy because to me like the what they're like taking like something that could be explored really fully and in an interesting way and just sort of using it as like a gloss over right, you think character. you think of it and more it as set dressing me, yes it just comes across as like lazy and sort of weak to me instead of like well you know you're already trying to do these new things and like i think in order for a horror franchise to survive and like do things you have to be innovative Mm -hmm. but it's like you have to you have to be committed enough to sort of take the dive and like fully explore these things that you're like sort of hinting at because to me like i was expecting them to do a little bit more with the hallucinations in this one and they just did the same Mm -hmm. thing as in the fifth one so for me like yeah exactly to me like the progression of sam's character is not any different from the fifth one there's no like narrative structure that's more like involved it doesn't feel like a progression at all to me it just feels like the same like arc repeated in a new setting with like it just didn't feel um it didn't fucking feel interesting to me. I, I mean, I guess that's I, I you know, I, I totally I think that's valid. Um, but I, I, I think like you could say the same thing for Sydney's character in all of the movies. You know, mm. it, it's just the movies are just the same thing. It's just Sydney going like, Well guess I'm, guess I'm, <laughs> guess I'm, guess I'm in another scream movie. You know, I so No, I feel like I feel like in in the initial trilogy like sydney does a little bit more like coming into her own you know what i mean like in the first one she's like high school girl like she learns of this betrayal she overcomes from like you know she's like the final girl but she's like self-aware like she's aware of the like the tropes and like the mistakes that final girls make and Mm -hmm. blah 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 in the second one they do a lot of like I think character progression with like her sort of like trying to like get through this trauma that she's experienced in the first first one and like work through it like by like acting you know what I mean like she's a member of the theater and she's trying to sort of like sift through this stuff and like express herself in these different ways and then in the third one in the third one like the ending of like it feels like there's a more like structured arc like in the third one like we at the very end like we see sydney she's like at her like compound and like whatever state she's in and she's like she turns to like the open door in her house and she's just like eh, i'll leave it open you know what i mean like there's like to me there feels like a more centered arc with this character and with sam well i I guess i'll let's I mean, I'll absolutely see. The next I'll, one, yeah, that's what I'll. That's what I'll say like is at least anyway. like save final judgment for like a third movie featuring Sarah uh, of or course. Tara and I'll Sam. Absolutely you know, see the next one. because 
Uh, honestly, yeah. I think Scream 2 is the worst of all of the Scream movies. Um, mm. And I think I think there's I very little, felt you know, the same. like development that happens with any of the characters between those ones. Um, and so, like, I'd say, like, if if you think like that, that's like those first three movies are where like you get lots of development. At least give get give, give these guys like one more, you know, to like really tie it all together. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I enjoyed this movie enough to like. I'm gonna see it. Like, I oh, love yeah. the franchise. Like, obviously, I my initial like reaction to this isn't like I'm not like oh it's my favorite movie, but like I can see like the intent and the like attempt to like you know you're taking like horror is filled with so many tropes, so it's like you're you're taking all these tropes and you're trying to like pick out ones that like you subvert and like you know they tried new things like. My one of my biggest criticisms is that like nobody important died like and that's a it's like I see what they're trying to do with like set up these tropes and like you expect it to be a bloodbath like this character's gonna die this character's gonna die but it made the movie feel very low stakes when it's like Mm. okay all of these people are being stabbed in the gut (laughs) and like you know, you're twisting the blade, like you're really fucking up their internal organs. Oh yeah, lots like, of lots of blade twisting in this movie. There was so much blade. That's twisting. the big. That's the major twist. Is is the twisting of the blade? Uh, the, now we're at the now we're we're cutting away from uh all the 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 ordeal from the the night before. We're cutting straight to uh Sam's therapist it's the middle of the day he's just like sitting around watching black and white horror movies like he's got no care in the world a charmed life uh and you know little bone yeah little bonus you can see he's watching a movie on like a shitty little crtv um but he's got a the case of a vhs tape uh and on the cover of the VHS tape, uh, the movie he's watching is titled Dead Meat. So little shout out. Also, um, last podcast on the left and We Hate Movies also get poster shout outs in this movie. Um, or, or earlier on, I believe you can see them at like the very beginning of the movie. But anyway, so the therapist, uh, is, he, he wakes up because like the doorbell is ringing and he like you know stumbles his way in pajamas at like what has to be one, I, I, maybe one p.m. Yeah, the it's like light outside. Yeah, it's like it's light outside. It's one p.m. It's in the middle of the afternoon. He's clearly just like woke up and started drinking, you know. And he was like, I guess I'll just watch some movies. I won't even change out of my pajamas. The doorbell rings, um, and he goes to answer it, and like Im- immediately. Like he, the, uh, glass breaks and a hand like bursts through and grabs him. And then he's just stabbed like straight through the nose. Right? Like, it's just like, like the middle of the face. Yeah. Just like, like, like a step, right? Like we've seen in horror movies, like you see a lot of eye stabs and you see a lot of mouth stabs, but just like random face stabs, you don't see as much. And those are like extra <laughs> disconcerting to me, you know. And but he just gets stabbed right through the face, uh, and then he dies. 
uh, Ghostface just like opens the door. He unlocks the door, opens it, walks in, steals the uh, the case files of of Sam's, uh, and then we cut to. This is when we get like the classic scream scene of like all of the like main cast is gathered. This is where we're laying out the rules. We're 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 analyzing our situation and we're determining yeah. what type of uh scenario yeah. we're in. What type of movie we're in, um who are the most likely suspects, you know, what are the rules of this version of the horror movie? We have Chad, Mindy, Tara, Sam, and uh Anika and Quinn and they're all part like you know yeah shoehorned around Mindy right and Mindy is explaining how we're not in a sequel we're in it like a a sequel to the requel a franchise <clears throat> we're, we're we're not in a sequel we're like we already we lived through the requel and now we're in a franchise that means nobody's safe all any characters up for grabs all the rules are um, out the window. It's not even relevant. Like, yet yeah, even surviving characters don't matter. Um, we've seen this kind of scene before in every Scream movie. Um, this is we we start kind of insinuating like, okay, well we're all safe because we're the characters from the last movie. Like we all survived that movie, so we are all off the table as far as motive. Like we're totally fine. And Anika who is uh mindy's girlfriend is kind of like well that doesn't make sense like if you guys all survived it what's to say the maybe the one of you yeah what would say one of you doesn't like uh it freak out and be pop off and become the murderer so now everyone's paranoid of everyone like nobody is safe you know they they insinuate that uh, Chad's roommate could have rigged the the draw right. on roommates and got himself in there on purpose, or yeah, and and that guy Ethan is like, am I gonna die a virgin? You know. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and so we have this whole, you know, like uh, it, we have this same scene almost in every Scream movie, but we had a very similar one it, led by Mindy in the previous movie. Um, and so then I think after that, we cut back to, we have another scene between, um, uh, Kirby and detective, uh, Bailey, uh, where they're both trying to, they have like one of those like Pepe Silvia, you know, boards where it's like every scream movie character that's ever existed all like pointing towards each other. (laughs) Then after that, we cut back to it's later that night. The whole group is sort of like getting together. They're all staying together. They're breaking out like the the like mattresses and sleeping pads and like pillows and shit to like they're all crashing in the same house together just to make sure they all are like watching each other and keeping each other safe. Um, I think this is when they try to like convince um, Sam to admit that she's fucking the hot neighbor. Sam kind of takes a seat at the right, table right. and she's very clearly overwhelmed and everybody else kind of circles around her and she's they're like, you know, like we understand that what you're going through is not the same thing as what we're going through because you have a different perspective on the situation than any of us. Which is which is 
po- poignant because it's you know I heard uh, you know I I listened to another interview with the with the producers and the directors where it was almost like this this scene was filmed almost in response to the huge negative impact that like Twitter and you know the social media sphere had against the actress because a lot of like you know quote diehard stream fans were like you ruined the series yeah you know? like it's as if it's the actress's yeah, I mean, fault that's stupid bullshit yeah exactly and, and yeah, so right. so this scene was almost filmed as a response to that because like none of the other actors got the same treatment as um melissa barrera did and she got like lots of like really you know horrible like vitriolic just hate for no reason you know so this this scene was almost in response yeah. to where all the actors were like you know you've been treated differently than us <laughs> you know uh mm. so it was it kind of felt like it felt nice with that that like everyone was acknowledging <laughs> yeah i it. actually i didn't really i don't i didn't pay attention to the like fan response to scream because i just like anytime like a fan fandom like weighs in i just you just check, check, out. check out same here um but with with that knowledge of that scene and like if that's the case like that feels very i'm glad that that scene happened because like it's totally bullshit to like sort of like hinge the entire series's like direction on like this actress's shoulders who's like i don't i don't want to say she's like you know she's not like my favorite part i don't necessarily think she's like the strongest force like driving Mm. the movie forward but like to pit it on hers right and to crazy. say to, to like claim um, that she's ruined things for the whole you know it's it's pretty yeah, shitty and she relax. she suffered like you a lot nerds. of fan backlash for like no reason so mm. this well yes, kudos to her yeah for coming she back. she well she came back to this movie with like kind of like renewed vigor <laughs> like re- renewed vigor she was like all right that's how you guys think i'm gonna do even better in this movie you know and i think she did Mm. She, she did way did better, better, and I think she yeah. really <clears throat> did a good job. And, and to like, even to give the same <coughs> same level of performance, I think better or better, better. I think she did even better this time. But like, but to even like come back in with the same level of you know vigor for performance, yeah. given that backlash, I think is like pretty impressive. But yeah, so I, that's what I've listened yeah. to. I've heard that that was like ba- this scene was basically them responding to. Uh, other other real life good you know reactions to the series so we're all you know palled around the table we're all kind of like hey you know you're going through it we're going through it we're all here for each other this is where they you know this is where chad is like we're the core four and they're everyone is like that is the worst name ever there's no way we're sticking with that name and he's like high fives high fives for the core four and they're like nope definitely not <laughs> While they're at the table having this conversation, the hot neighbor that Sam's, like, boning, who lives, like, across the way from them, can see into, uh, what's her name? Quinn. He can see into Quinn's window, and he can see that Quinn is being attacked by Ghostface while this is going on. Well, Ghostface is sort of just looming over her as she's on the phone facing away from him. And he's trying to scream. He's like, hey, yo, you got a ghost face in your room. So he he's trying to scream at them. He opens up his window. He can see that 
the rest of the gang is sitting in the kitchen talking. He's trying to get their attention. He's trying to do something and like distract Ghostface. Uh, he takes a picture of Quinn getting attacked by Ghostface and airdrops it to everyone in the kitchen which i love that i love that use of technology that all these people have their airdrops wide open <laughs> yeah which is wild because you would have imagined that it, it, it ghostface would have you know done a done a, like a one and done and dipped out but we get it's we get like a funny blurry yeah like you said a funny blurry airdrop photo of uh of ghostface attacking quinn there's a bunch of noise that they suddenly hear now uh they're all like and oh then, fuck and they jump up and they you know run through to try and save quinn immediately they get confronted by um, ghostface and so like quinn gets to- quinn's body gets like tossed out of the door frame uh ghostface is looming over him everyone is like just sort of scatters um ghostface grabs annika the the one girlfriend of uh mindy and i think he like she's the first one to get like really fucked up like i think mindy gets like a slice on her arm but then ghostface like grabs annika and like chokehold lifts her up and smashes her against the the fireplace stabs her in the gut and then just like lifts the knife up like all the way up her torso yeah, yeah, like really opens her guts up. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, Annika, you're done. You're not surviving this one. <laughs> she was one of the only standouts for me. Like, you liked I Annika? Felt like her, I felt like her performance was the it most, was good. like, as a newcomer, like, it stood out the most for me. Yeah. And I think this whole sequence in the movie was one of the better ones. Like, I think the, like, the choreography of like how the apartment was laid out and like yeah. how the doors like were handled, I thought was really well done. Yeah, because it's kind of like it's almost like one of those railroad apartments where like all of the doors connect to like another room, you know? Yeah, you have like dual entry into every yeah. room. So like they all sprint, they all get away. They they drag uh, somehow they knock you know Ghostface. They they push him down. They all get away, including Annika. And so it ends up being like Sam and Mindy and Annika in a uh, in the bathroom, and what's his face, the sexy boyfriend, um, uh, fucking Danny is his name. He he is able to like he has a he has a big ladder like a, a, a you know like a he's got the little giant. It can fold out and it can extend yeah, the, the little giant. <laughs> And it can extend all the way, all the way across the alleyway, but just barely. But like they, it can fit as like sort of a ladder between the two apartments. And so all the three characters, Ghostface is trying to like bust in. You know, they have like something pushed in the way, but they still have to hold the door closed. And so Sam ends up being the first one to go across. She she like barely makes it. It's very stressful and shaky. She makes it across. Um, then Mindy is like, all right, Annika, you go. But then Annika's like, no, I'm all fucked up. My guts are coming out. You go first. Uh, and then so uh, Mindy makes it across. And then Annika finally, is, she lets go of the barricade. She starts climbing across. But obviously, because now there's nobody holding the barricade. Uh, and because Annika's going like uh, an inch an hour because uh, her intestines, her entrails are now extrails. Um, she, she, she's like barely made it any distance across the ladder and Ghostface just starts doing this sort of like 
shimmy he's like playing with her you know it's very tense and it's like so shitty but it's like such a good horror sequence and eventually he's just like shakes it completely enough for annika to lose her grip and she falls not even that far it's like what three stories i mean three stories is far far enough (laughs) three stories plus she smashes her head on the dumpster on the way down so she's definitely dead. The absolute corner of a metal dumpster just fucking bricks her face in and just crushes her skull on the way down. We have such a brutal shot of her laying on her back and her yeah, face we get a is nice, just crushed. We get a nice crushed face shot of Annika, which is good. You know, I love how much more brutal these past two uh, screen movies have become. Because they're goofy and they're stupid but they're but they're also not afraid to amp up the 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 gore and the threat, you know, the which I've appreciated. So Annika pfft, bites the dust, but everybody else is safe for now and for the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, and and then we immediately cut to we immediately cut to the daytime, and now everybody's down at on the ground floor. Uh, the ambulance, the police are around. Um, ta- uh, fucking Sam's like smoking the uh the back end of a cigarette which i don't think we've ever seen her like be like a stress smoker before but she is in this movie that's called character development Um, matt (laughs) yeah a little you know it's a little character development yeah danny pretty much tells her like look like i understand that the situation you're in is like you know beyond comprehension but if you know you don't feel that you can trust anyone then don't trust anyone don't trust your friends don't trust me don't trust the police do what you have right. to do and th- i think i think this was a great little a uh, misdirection you know because like he he tells her like don't trust me which seems like something that the killer would say to make you trust him yeah that's a very that's a very scream for Way, way to go about things yeah it's all mind games oh and this is so then this is where um detective um bailey like he comes out and he like <laughs> he does like a half like puke motion he like steps out of the doorway to the apartment building he's like <laughs> and everybody's like looking at him like oh shit we got to deal with uh, drama queen <laughs> with, our, with our roommates our roommate's dad who just why who just looked at his dead dead daughter uh and, and he's like <gasps> and like i'm sorry detective and he's like i don't care what it takes i'm gonna help you catch this guy you know and he's played by again he's he's played by um fucking Der- dermot uh Mulrooney. and he's like he he already looks so severe because he's got so many natural just scars on his face where he just looks like he's already been through six scream movies on his own you know <laughs> like so he's like i'm gonna take down this guy it's it's so funny and then gail weathers rushes in she's got another you know like single color palette like pantsuit on why do you say it like she comes running in she's like she looks like fucking periwinkle from blues clues uh and (laughs) and she's like i'm here to help and they were like well didn't we just punch you out as two scenes ago and she's like yeah but didn't i help you solve scream five (laughs) and then they're like and then they're immediately like they immediately are all like yeah, you did. And they're all best friends again. <laughs> this is where Detective Bailey turns it turns into Dom 
Toretto, and he's like, if you fuck with my family. You, you fuck with my family, I fuck with you. I'm taking the law into my own hands. They took me off the case, but if you fuck with my family, I'm fucking Right, and then you. Kirby shows up too, <laughs> and Kirby and Gale have a little exchange. Then we get like a cool like street art graffiti version of uh, of Ghostface as they walk through an alley. And it's like it's like a world where just Ghostface is everywhere. Right? Yeah. Like it's almost like the Watchmen, you know, where everybody's like, Who watches the Watchmen? <laughs> but it's like, who is Ghostface this time? Well, I kind of like that sort of because like I do I like it. When I like Street it a lot came too. Out, like it was so popular. So it's like it's like a fun way to like integrate like you said Eric like that life imitating art imitating life mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um I this, how do you both feel about Kirby? Cuz I feel like I didn't love <laughs> I didn't love the inclusion. <laughs> I thought it was fun that they brought the character back, but I I think the way that they did it seemed kind of like uh, shoehorned. But uh, I think she makes up for it with this insane leather jacket covered in buckles. See, I liked the. <laughs> um, well, that's what I was gonna say. Is I I I love the inclusion of the character, and I would totally believe that you know. But that she went through, you know, FBI training and is now an agent and is given, you know, free reign to just claim cases as she sees fit. But the fact that she looks like she looks like the CW version of an FBI agent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like I, I do love the, the like all buckles outfit, <laughs> but I don't believe that. That's why later in the movie, whether or not she's an FBI agent comes into question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually fell for it more than I would because have of the costume. <laughs> if they had made her a more, more believable FBI agent. <laughs> if she had a pantsuit. <laughs> Gail has through through some financial in, investigating. Gail has tracked down the right. uh, <laughs> this property. That is in the name of the two kids who were murdered at the beginning. The guys who were going to uh, right. kill Sam and Tara, but were thwarted by Ghostface. Right. J- Jason yeah. and the other guy. Um, and yeah, so this is actually, I, 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 I'm with Dylan. I think the that Kirby's character would have been sold better if she was the one who discovered this. But instead, this movie was like, Let's let Gail get the upper hand and be like, I guess you're not that great of an FBI agent because I found this. It would have been, I think, funnier and better serving to the story if Kirby was like, you know, I found this. Uh, guess no amount of experience of your experience is good enough, Gail. You know, because like it doesn't make any sense that Gail would be able to find this out. Right, like the dick measuring competition between Gale and Kirby is like why, and especially like if you're trying to reincorporate Hayden Panettiere's character Kirby into the series, like let her seem she seems less competent than she should. So I think it would have been better if Kirby did it. But either way, they find their way to this like warehouse that is like again, it's like it's like if Batman like kept his Batcave. Uh, at just like a random place on the Upper East Side, you know, <laughs> you go in and it's just filled. It's this place, the warehouse is. It's like a, it starts out as like a movie theater entrance, and you go in, 
and it's just it's like a museum dedicated to all of the scream and stab movies right all the real killings that happen in the scream movies plus all of the memorabilia from the stab movies that are a you know movie within a movie in the franchise there's like this bat cave like lineup of all of the ghost face costumes in like a semicircle at like as like a focal point of this place uh and everybody is various degrees of like uh freaked out and impressed you know like everybody's like everyone's everybody's going through their individual like (laughs) oh i got stabbed with this yeah yeah, kirby kirby is like this is the one that gutted me 12 times and like mindy and chad are like well this is the one that got us you know it's like (laughs) i i don't find it unbelievable because i think i would react the same way where it's like all right this is either gonna fuck me up or i can find some amusement in it well here's what cracks me up is that they they start talking about it and they're like well how the fuck did they have all this stuff like these are like these aren't just movie props these are like murder weapons and evidence and gail is like well, cops love money, a cab, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's probably pretty easy to get some of this yeah. evidence. And to be honest, for me, I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, she she basically goes, cops love money, and evidence gets lost easily, and that's the explanation. And you know what? Yeah, that was fine that's enough for me because it's like, yeah, cops can be pieces of shit. Give them a buck, <laughs> and they'll be like, sure, take this cloak. Um, so basically the whole, the whole, this is when the whole group gets sort of like these individual little like one-on-ones as we like have, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of like uh, rotating character interactions, right? Where it's like, what do these two think about each other? What do these two think about each other? (laughs) You know? (laughs) We get Kirby and Tara are paired up and they're kind of talking about like, you know, like I don't, like why do I have to be a part of this? I don't want to be a part of this. And then we get uh, Sam. She kind of like wanders over to Sam and Gail. Yeah, she talks to Gail and then she kind of has her own moment where she's like seeing uh, her father's reflection in the glass case that's holding his knife and his like kind of ghost face cowl. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. I found this little this little quiet these quiet moments in in the the ghost face tomb you know it's like the, it's like the it's like a fucking mummy tomb uh you know and, and where all these characters constantly have these little little moments together i i loved it cuz i just felt like it was like i i don't know something like eerie about having these heart to heart moments surrounded in, by in these the, objects the, yeah like, sh- in in the shadow of like infinite murder you know like was so interesting you know cuz it's like all these characters their lives are just steeped in mm. in death and to have these like character growth moments still steeped in death i thought was like really really nice and interesting uh and then so we end up back at they they leave and we get another moment uh, a little group moment with Mindy, Chad, Ethan and Kirby in a uh surveillance van where Kirby is like, we're fine here. But then that's where Mindy is like, well, this is where my uncle Randy died in the middle of the day in a van. So forgive me if I don't feel very comfortable. Yeah, being- their new plan is that they're going to lead uh, Ghostface out into the open by dangling uh, 
Sam and Tara out in like Central Park. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that if we're out in the open, then we'll be able to see Ghostface coming if he's going to be anywhere near us. And if he's not anywhere near us, then we'll be able to track him down and triangulate his phone uh, call from the, mm. the van. And it's and it's funny because Mindy is like, I've, I've seen how this works. Like you call the guy and you try to keep him on the phone. <laughs> and it's like, oh, at the last second he disconnects. And then, oh, we didn't get the tracker. You know, it's... <laughs> It's it's she calls out like yes. every time this has ever happened before, which I think is super funny. And I liked how Kirby was like, "No, we could do it in 15 seconds. Shut up." <laughs> She's like, "Oh, all right, well then." Mm-hmm. I'm so I'm so good. Well, I mean, it's more about like the technology has advanced past the 70s. <laughs> true. That's also true. Yeah, but not advanced enough because now we cut to uh, Gail. She's sitting in her fucking high-rise apartment there's like her live-in boyfriend that we like never get a clear shot of his face (laughs) we we just know that there's a we just know that there's a man that lives with her um we just know that gail is getting dicked down hey you know what her it's been a while her ex is now dead i think she's allowed to move on you know and oh yeah i'm not I'm not criticizing her. Yeah, so she's got her live-in boyfriend. So the thing is, they get a call. They get a call at Central Park. Kirby tracks it, and she's like, "Oh, it's coming from this apartment on the upper uh, east Whatever. side." Yeah. And the fancy side. They're like, "Oh shit, we know who lives it's over there. Gay. That's where Gail's apartment is." So then we cut over to Gail, and the phone rings. Her boyfriend picks it up, and her boyfriend's like, "Oh, it's for you." <laughs> and this is where it's a. This is like a real, like spine tingling moment because again, it gives me the chills because it's so. the The movie even calls it out. It's like a long time coming. You know, this is the first time that Gail has ever actually spoken to Ghostface on the phone, and she's like, "It's it's great because she knows what to do. She's like prepared." She even says, like, you know, are you really ready for this? Like, like a, ten other guys have tried this before, and it's never worked out for the fuckface in the mask. I love I love the use of fuckface in this movie. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's fan. <laughs> I was actually surprised that I enjoyed this scene so much, because, like, I saw five as, like, a f- passing of the torch, and it's kind of like... Let's fucking move on. Do your own thing. We don't need to bring anyone else back. Um, mm-hmm. So I was pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. that Gail's sequence was like the most compelling, and I I think one of the most interesting scenes. And I also mm-hmm. I also sure. felt that um, when I first saw the trailer, I thought they were gonna have Gail be the like intro. Like I thought Gail was gonna be the first person killed. Yeah, me too. I, I I I definitely I definitely thought that was a possibility. I was actually kind of hoping for it. Like I, on the one hand, like I think Gail is probably my favorite of the original trilogy because like I I'm a fan of like reporter archetypes and like I liked the way that Courtney Cox portrayed this character of like she's sort of hardened she's sort mm-hmm. of like a no nonsense kind of person but like she also like develops like a softness like by going through this experience and like sharing yeah. this connection with these other characters so like I think Gail was one of my favorites so I was I was pleasantly surprised by this this whole sequence you know she gets the phone call 
and then the boyfriend leaves to go into the bedroom and she's talking to Ghostface. She tells him like, hey, go call the cops. And he like calls the police and then he goes into the bedroom. And then all of a sudden, while she's on the phone with Ghostface, he's kind of like, hey, uh, your boyfriend wasn't really particularly useful. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then he gets and then he gets thrown through Yeah, the they have, wall. like, this huge, like, shelving. <laughs> Two layers of drywall he had to have gone through. No, it he wasn't a wall. No. It was just, there's, he like, a class. shelf situation, <laughs> and he gets thrown through the shelving. It's just, like, a full, you know, like, floor-to-ceiling shelf. Either way, I mean, either way, you know, Ghostface, show, he throws the, the clearly now dead boyfriend through the wall. There's, like, a quick chase scene. Um, Gail, like smacks him in the head she get ducks into her bedroom locks the door she like um tries to unlock her her room safe that has a, a gun in it you know but she can't like remember the code so there's like a tense little sequence while she tries to remember the code to the safe she gets the gun out uh and then ghost faces in anywhere to be found she's still talking to him though you know and just like sydney in scream five i love this sequence of her um kind of like stalking Ghostface, mm. and then she she gets to the point where she goes um just hold on one second and she hangs up on him and then hits redial and then the phone that he called mm. from rings in the um I in the closet move. in Me front too. of her and she just immediately just pulls up the gun and just blasts the door you know which is like uh it's so th- these movies are always so good at being like the, the audience clearly right. wants you to do something right. and they Agreed. do it, you know? <laughs> it always, it feels so good. Uh, but uh, e- either way, uh, I don't know if Gail actually does any damage to Ghostface, but he he ends up, like, busting out and still getting, like, one up on her and, like, stabs her a couple times. And we get this really tense scene where he, like, gets on top of her, stabs her in the gut, and then, like, goes, and it, it, like, looks like it's so close, like, he's gonna get her right in the eye, Mm. you know? And then uh, Tara and Sam show up and, like, knock out Ghostface, who, like, sprints out of the room, and they're trying to, like, stifle, like, her, her, like, staunch her bleeding, and she has, like, this really nice moment where she goes, like, tell, she's, like, fading into unconsciousness and she's like tell sydney he never got me and it just felt so good you know it's just like good 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 on her yeah good on courtney cox like she just sell, fucking sells it you know Ooh, yeah this made the hair on my arm stand up when i saw it i was like oh, i forget how the line. fuck did Ghostface get away in this sequence because she's in a high rise right where did Ghostface disappear to? Yeah, but you, it's just one of those things where you just got to say Ghostface got him. <laughs> you know, it's happened in plenty of other Scream movies where Ghostface has just exited the scene. Ghostface has the, the glider suit. <laughs> yeah, they might as well have been like on a lighthouse, like, you know, somewhere in, in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, how did he get away? Robert, Patton- Robert Pattinson's jerking off, but like... And oh my God, finally... <laughs> <laughs> but the the EMTs show up. They 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 cart her away. All right. So we think we so Gail. It looks like Gail's dead, right? She goes tell Sydney he never got me, and then she kind of fades into unconsciousness. But then the the EMTs show up, and they're like, "We got a light pulse," fast. you know. So this is how we know Mm-mm. that Gail's safe, right? The, it's the it's the movie telling us that like Gail will return. 
Um, but then everybody else we meet back up with at the hospital. Yeah, it's not at the hospital. It's in the lobby of the the like the place where uh, her penthouse is. So like they're all downstairs, and she's kind of like, "All right, well, you guys have to get out of the city because like if anyone who's near me is like a target." And they're like, "Well, we're gonna core for this, so good luck." And yeah, like you said, they kind of like exclude the new boyfriend, and uh, yeah, they're like, "Sorry." They're like, all right, new plan. Instead of bringing Ghostface to an open space, let's bring Ghostface to a uh, enclosed space. We'll lure him in and we'll, quote unquote, execute him. And the FBI agent and the cop is like, yes. (laughs) The whole group agrees. The the, like college students who've suffered two years of murder sprees all go, we have to kill Ghostface. But also... The detective, the NYPD detective, and the the U.S. FBI agent all also agree. Yeah, we've just got to unceremoniously execute this person. Right, but the detective was let off the case. His kid was killed by this point, so like his motivation is like understandable. We know cops it's, do this shit. Yeah, we we definitely we definitely understand. We can believe why he would do it because we also all, all already know that. We can't trust the NYPD anyway, so, you know, whatever. Clear, clearly. Right, right, right. And Kirby, it's, like, it's understandable. It's understandable because, like, she came to the city specifically for this. Yeah, whatever. She comes from the town where ghostface murders happen yeah. constantly. And there's just no way to stop it other than yeah. murdering the people that did it. Because, like, that's the only way the ghostface murders have ever been resolved. But they always start again. Uh, so... They all do like a little little pact, and they they decide like, all right, here we go. Um, so they're the plan is to lure Ghostface to the Ghostface mausoleum, <laughs> and so this is now when we get everybody is like, all right, well now we got to get to the mausoleum, so let's all take the subway, and this is where we get the trailer scene, um, where everybody's in the subway and every like because it's Halloween weekend, everyone's in costumes. We get like a c- cool little snapshot of different costumes. Um, we get somebody dressed as Samara Weaving's character in uh, Ready or Not. We also get as they're coming down the subway stairs, someone's dressed as Mojo Jojo, <gasps> which is a reference to Roger Jackson, the ghost of uh, the voice of Ghostface, who also voiced Mojo Jojo. Oh, oh my he's god! Both really? voices? I did not know that. That's a Wow. Yes. Yes. The only reason that Mojo Jojo is in that little stairway scene is because Roger what Jackson has to be fuck. Yeah, really. What a career. <laughs> so, so funny. I loved it. I was like, I was like, is that Mojo Jojo? <laughs> but, I completely missed that. You see him walking up with the I cape and the big helmet. Uh, it's so funny. But the subway is totally um, packed out. It's like sardine so they, canned in there. They're trying to get on the train. Which is super in. Super, super not accurate. Like, even even spooky fiance Heather can attest. She's like, I used to travel to the city back and forth every day for work. That's like the, the level of packed that this subway is in this scene is like Tokyo <laughs> level packed. Where, like, they have to have people who physically, like, push bodies into the fucking train to make sure everybody fits. But in the whole, like, crowd and the mix-up of things, we get... Sam, Tara, Chad, and new hot, sexy neighbor boyfriend onto the train. With the lame name Danny. (laughs) 
But Ethan and Mindy missed the train. So now they're on separate trains. The train that's heading out with uh, Tara and Sam is full of people in costume. They're all kind of freaked out because they see a ghost face costume on the train. There's a, there's at least two ghost face people on the train. Um, But also, that being said, Mindy's character has suspected Ethan. Accused him multiple predominantly times. Predominantly this whole movie. So she sits like a full car's length away from him. And as the train is going, so the other characters are kind of like making their way. And every once in a while, we like splice back and forth between the two. And every time we cut back to Mindy, like the 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 train car seems to like lose its connection to electricity more and more. Because like every time we cut back to her, like the lights flash on and off and they're off for like longer and longer each time. Until the point where like she starts to eye up a ghost face. And he starts to get closer and closer and closer. And it, to the point where I'm like, Mindy, you got to the, the, you're you're facing the door that opens to the outside of the train. Yeah, the cart. I thought she's you gonna have to leave. <laughs> I was like, lady, you have to get out of here. You like you're the expert. You please leave. But she never does. And then eventually Ghostface just like shows up face to face with her and just like stabs the shit out of her in the gut. He like covers her mouth and stabs her and just waits till she slumps down to the ground and the doors open and he's like, I'm out of here. Which kind of like points to like the, the sort of hor- unique horror that this movie has where it's like the, the horror of something bad happening to mm-hmm. you in a public space. But nobody could be bothered to give a fuck about you're you. You're never more alone than when you're Which in is New York City. A whole- which is a whole different kind of scary, you know? I felt like the sequence, like, wasn't as successful as it could have been. Like, you're you're going to pack the trains. Like, you could have, like... I was expe- If, you know, my first instinct for this would have been to write it as, like, they're in a sort of, like, um, empty train car with, like, a couple sleeping people. But I actually, the more I think about it, I I, I find it more scary with the fact that, like... It happens in a crowded train and people either yeah. don't care or don't believe that it's real because yeah. it's Halloween. I just you know? mean like I guess the way that like Ghostface moved. I mean a lot of this is just like nitpicking stuff but like uh, like it it lends to the success of the scenes for me. Like and to me like it's like a good really really good idea that's just executed in a kind of like bland way for me. I think it's mostly just used as a way to keep um, Mindy out of the rest of the movie. And so, so Mindy gets like the shit stabbed out of her, but then, uh, Ethan, you know, as the, the electricity comes back on and the cart stops and the train empties out, he finds her and he's like, Oh shit. Like you're all fucked up. Like, let's get you out of here. Um, so Mindy and, and Ethan leave, uh, then we cut back to uh, the rest of the group who has arrived at the like you know safe house or the 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 ghost face mausoleum, the death trap. Yeah. Oh, also, there's a couple Babadooks uh, in, in the train too, them. which I think is funny. <laughs> Any anytime I see a cosplay of the Babadook, I I think it's funny and notable because it's just like a stupid costume. <laughs> it stands out so much amongst all these other ones. It really does. Yeah, you really you can really pick out a Babadook among a crowd. And so now every the rest of the crew, so Tara, Sam, uh, boy boyfriend, and the det- 
detective? No, the detective's not here. He's still back at the Yes, he right? called them beforehand. It was like, hey, I've been taken off the case. I can't get anywhere near this thing. If you guys are going to, like, do something, lead him to the, you know, mausoleum and we'll trap him there and do what we got to do. But I can't help. Right, because because Kirby because Kirby came up with the whole. She was like, "Listen, I've got all of the 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 keys for the locks, the digital locks and stuff." She's like, "We can trap them in here. I've got it all set up." Um, before they go into the room, um, Tara or Sam tells uh, Danny, you know, her boyfriend, that she's like, "Listen, you can't come in with us. Like, I I just can't trust you." And this is another great thing I love about this movie and about this character is he's not this like toxic douchebag who's like, well, what the fuck? We're broken up now. I you don't trust me, you asshole. You know, he's like, I totally yeah, get yeah. it. I'm he's, out. He's a great, you know? he's a great guy. I'm not going to force. He just goes, yeah, he goes, I'm not going to force you to believe me. Like, if you think this is the best decision, I won't come in. You know, and I loved that. I was like, "Oh, how refreshing!" Like it yeah. just felt like I was like, "Oh, I've never." In the seen second this one, I feel like um, Sydney's boyfriend is a little bit like annoying and pushy and like not understanding. So like, I liked that sort of difference yeah. here, where yeah. he's just sort of like, "Yeah, I get it. You don't know me. Exactly. You almost got murdered like a million times. That's cool." Well, and, and earlier in the movie, he says, "Don't trust anybody. Don't trust the cops. Mm. Don't trust me." And I like that he he, he brought it back yeah. to I understand I I he follows through because in any other or or lots of other movies you would have a character do that and then later in the movie the main the final girl wouldn't trust that guy and then he'd get pissy and then he'd show up later and then die agonizingly and you'd be mm. like well you deserved it <laughs> you know but he doesn't get pissy he just goes okay you know. I, I I trust you. That's I kind of want Josh Sagara to to come back in in the seventh movie. I don't want him to just be a one and done character because I liked it, you know. And so the rest of the crew goes into the uh, mausoleum. This is where they're they're all starting to do their like prep of the area. They meet up with Kirby. So it's Kirby, uh, Sam, Tara, and Chad. Uh, they kind of lock down the place. Sam. Uh, walks up to like the sort of shrine of ghost faces and she walks up to the one that belonged to Billy, her dad. And she, you get this little moment where like he's talking to her, like in the reflection of the uh, Mm -hmm. display case, you know? And he's like, he's like, come on, Sam. The worst line in history. Yeah. He's like, come on, you know, you know, it felt good. Take the knife. Just do it. Do what you're born to do. Let's get our murder on. <laughs> I like this part of this character. Like, I love it. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, like, super interesting. And I think the it, it would be lame. It would have been lame if this the movie ended up being, like, oh, Sam went yeah. crazy and she's the killer. You know? I like the fact that she's still the good guy, but she loves how it feels to murder the murderers, you know? I just really, it really felt very refreshing and interesting to me. But yeah, so she picks up the knife that belonged to her father, and he does like you get a cool another uh, Skeet Ulrich where he's like, oh, "Good choice." <laughs> he's like, "It's a personal you know? favorite." He's so good. He's so good. Wait, wait, wait! Can we address something? Okay, okay. So when they get there, Kirby's like, "There's no other weapons here. It's just this gun, and I'm the one who has it." And then they go in, and there's just like display cases of all of the knives. <laughs> 
there's it's knives everywhere. So fucking stupid. Right, Cur- Kirby's like, I keep the gun, and I, immediately I was like, wrong so choice, dumb. Kirby. Should have given it. Should have given it to anybody else. But then we get a, you know, so Sam gets the knife. Then we get another like little interaction because over the course of this movie, there's been sort of like these flirty moments between um, Tara and Chad, which weren't. Because Chad was dating somebody in the in Scream Five who ended up getting killed, um, so there wasn't any romance between the two. Mostly, and also because it was like a kind of sister movie. Um, but I like that we're giving, like, so because now Tara and uh, Chad are kind of like the Gale and Dewey, especially Chad. Chad yeah. is one hundred percent the new Dewey, <laughs> but not. There's he's he's um, re- like. Mason Gooding, he's a very attract. He's very attractive. I just don't think his like. You don't like him? Do you like, not like comparing Chad? <laughs> him to Dewey? Like, if you know, if he's the new Dewey of you know this series, like he's not as he doesn't have the same competency. Not competency, just like interest. Like he's not as interesting of a character as Dewey. Like, well, I think the reason Dewey Dewey was so interesting was because he was so bumbling, but also effective at his job you know like barring the fact that like you can't really account for weird shit that happens around Ghostface because like everything sort of becomes like an an acme you know commercial when Ghostface (laughs) is around like where there's like anvils (laughs) fall and dynamites involved and like you can throw potted plants and like it's like crazy you know, so you can't really expect like a police officer to like behave normally in a ghost face scenario. But like Dewey was super bumbling, but like he was like very charming and still yes. competent enough at his job that you're like, you really and anytime he got hurt, you're like, Oh, I hope Dewey doesn't totally doesn't bite I, it. To me, you know? like Dewey is like he's sort of like the comedy relief, but like he's still also like he throughout this like the initial trilogy like he also is learning but he's just like always like a step behind the killer but like he brings like an earnestness that i don't think um chad's character like has and that's sort of the thing about chad is that chad exudes confidence the way dewey does not dewey is very like humble and he's like hey like i might be the cop or the sheriff but like I'm out here doing my best. Chad is like, don't worry, we'll take care of it. Oops, I got stabbed ten times. Well, but that's the thing I... See, for me, that's what I kind of... I like about Chad is he's not like, I'm Chad and I'm the most boss guy around and the ghost face Mm -hmm. can't hurt me. He's scared of ghost face and he's trying his best the whole movie to just be positive, Uh, you know, uh and and be like, listen, we understand the tropes. Like, let's just, we're the core four. Let's stick together. I'm just trying to keep us all alive. So I kind of, you know, I don't think he's as necessarily immediately like, you know, charming in the same Mm. way as Dewey was, but I am actually looking forward to him going forward because I liked him in the first movie. I liked that he survived. He gives in scream five, he gets carted away. He does a little thumbs up. Even though he got stabbed like 70 times. See, it's like, I liked that in the fifth one, but like second time around, it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. But that's how it was with Dewey too. Dewey survived like, like clearly Dewey's dead. He survived that scenario like so many times. But there were also so many other deaths in the other series that like him surviving like felt like, 
whew, okay, at least this one survived. This movie was like, okay, this person's alive. Okay, this person's also alive. Okay, all right, he's still alive too. Just kidding, nobody important died. None of the characters that we invested time in, like, with, like, whatever... Well, yeah, but I mean, that's the same for any other screen movie. I mean, no. really, the only characters you care about are Sydney, Dewey, and uh, uh, Gale. And they've, I mean, they've been around for, for every movie. I don't agree. Like, there's some side characters. Like, in Scream 3, I forget what Parker Posey's character is. Like, she's a <laughs> fun addition. She, she played brings... the actress who played Sydney. Yeah, no, she's the one who plays Gale. Oh, yeah. So, like, she's a funny character. She, like, brings, like, uh, some... I felt like I was rooting for her to not die. Whereas, like, in Scream 4... Also, yeah, in Scream 4, like, you have Kirby. Like, Kirby's a new addition that you're kind of like, yeah, I hope you survive. You're not, like, in the... You're not, like, the main character, but, like, you're sort of, like, orbiting them and you're, like, rooting for them. Whereas, like... In this one, I just don't find any of the, like, well, I do, I think Mindy's Yasmin Brown is her name, mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah. I find her performance to be one of the more interesting ones, but I felt like... I agree. I think she's one of the better characters. I felt like, yeah, in this <clears throat> one, like, the scenes with her weren't as good. The, the, we're in, like, sort of the lockdown mode where they... You know, they've secured this, like, little area. Um, Tara and Chad have the little cute little flirty conversation. And then we get, I believe this is when we get a phone call. Uh, Sam gets a phone call from Detective Bailey that, because the whole movie he's been, like, super suspicious of Kirby. Mm-hmm. And he, he gives them a phone call. He says, hey, you guys got to get out of that place because I just got, I got word down from the FBI Um, Kirby hasn't been with the FBI for like six months now. Uh, you know, after all the stuff that happened in Woodsboro last year, she went crazy. Um, she, she, she's on leave. Like we can't trust Kirby. So now that everyone is like, oh shit, Kirby's the killer. You know, she, she's the one who's doing this all. So we're trapped in here with her. Um, so everybody does like a fucking mad dash around this, like, uh, this little like because it's, like, it's basically a movie yeah. theater it's an old theater museum. that has been sort of um, converted into this like yeah, yeah. then re- repurposed you know um and so there's like a big the, like sam runs out there's like, a ghost face shows up there's a big chase scene um all three of them are like kind of like ducking and dodging uh fucking chad like smashes ghost face with like a video camera um they end up like in like the foyer where they encounter like a ghost face. Uh, Chad smashes him again with the camera, knocks him down, and goes to like finish him off. But then another ghost face shows up and stabs the shit out of his you know stomach, and like Sam and Tara like back away, and then the other ghost face rises up, and the two ghost faces just like stab Chad eighteen like, million know, times. Like, oh my times. god! And he's. <laughs> It's so funny. He's got his eyes locked with the uh, Tara, and he's like, "Go!" You know what? And it's leave funny. Me. Yeah, go ahead, go. He's like, go, "Get out of here!" And he actually, it's funny. It's funny because he actually, in this like strained, you know, facial motion that he's doing, he kind of looks like the actor that played Cotton in like the first couple movies, like because he's like 
like straining his face so hard. He almost looks like that guy. Uh, and then the, both ghost faces like stop stabbing, stabbing him, drop him to the floor, and they both do like a synchronized knife wipe, which I love. I loved. I did not. <laughs> I, loved, I was like, I loved oh the synchronicity my of the two ghost faces. It looked, so, it was so good. It implied a level of choreography between these two ghost faces that I was like, what? <laughs> I did not love that. Like that was almost like it was just so far outside of the like cheesiness for me. I mean, I enjoyed it because it made me laugh. I enjoyed it because I, it, it was made the perfect laugh, level of cheesy did for groan me. About it, that's. So you know what? It, then it still works. Yeah, it I mean, like, I guess if, worked. like, yeah, the whole point of a movie is to, like, be entertained by it. So I was entertained there by it. There you go. Um, sure. So then we end up back into the uh, big, you know, sort of, like, museum room where there's, like, uh, I, I believe it is, like, one of the Stab movies is being played yeah, on they're, a projector. Yeah, they're rolling footage from the first Stab movie that echoes uh, the you know, murder of Drew Barrymore's character in the first Scream movie. Uh, and They're surrounded. They got the ghost faces on either side. Tara and Sam are back to back. They grab, like, bricks. <clears throat> and, and I love this because it's like, it felt really real to me because Melissa Barrera, Sam's character, she's like, she grabs the brick and she's like, she tells her sister, she's like, Tara, grab her back. She's like, I need you to be ready. I need you to be ready. Like, we have to be pre- just like, she's like preparing her for like, listen, we're going to die, but I need you to be ready to fight. You know, it felt like super like the way that she like was speaking to Tara. It just felt like I I, like, I got the chills because I was like, ooh, this feels real. There's a gunshot and Kirby like stumbles out of nowhere and she's like covered and covered in blood she's got her pistol and she's just like i i wasn't the murderer and they're like oh yeah we got that (laughs) but they're they're also like really paranoid because they're Um, like what the fuck happened we thought you were the killer and now you're not the killer who are you and she's like i'm definitely not the killer and then fucking detective bailey comes out and he's like get away from her she's definitely the fucking killer and then she's like no i'm super not the killer and he's like cool bang fucking shoots her (laughs) shoots her in the chest she goes down and they're like oh shit detective bailey's the killer and he's like totally (laughs) doesn't she get shot like three times this is what yeah so at this point in the movie i was like where are all these fucking people's organs because people are getting <laughs> stabbed in the guts they're getting their fucking shit twisted around like Listen, why is you, nobody fucking dying <laughs> well before scream six it has been established that vital organs aren't i <laughs> their locations aren't important like, that's true just because right. somebody there's only one vital right. organ and it's, and your, it's head. your head yeah <laughs> the, the the brain is the only important organ you can survive anything but a shot to the well brain. you're right and also i guess that's probably actually more on the realistic side of just like you know people get stabbed all the time it's not immediately a death sentence but like having said that the amount of time that kirby spends laying on the ground bleeding out like i guess we'll get to that right <laughs> Yeah, but no, I guarantee you we can find dozens of examples of people surviving, like, being stabbed, you know, 27 times and going to the hospital and pulling through, you know? So it's not like it doesn't happen. So, But but also the directors have, you know, in regards to this movie, have stated that, like, they're not concerned about 
the reality of like how many times somebody could get stabbed in the guts or whatever. They believe that like it should be a because like you know if you want to experience that the realism of like how somebody sure, can die from sure, a stabbing sure, sure. is like you could just go to CBS you know or, or NBC or like check the the yeah Fox you're totally news. right but like so a, a slasher movie should be a little bit more fantastical in regards to like what people can survive. And I kind of subscribe to that because like, you know, like sure. Should Kirby still be alive or any of these characters? No. But like, (sighs) if you, if you, if you tell me in the context of this world that they can survive this, who am I to argue? You're the writer. Sure. They survived. That's, that's what makes it more, more compelling because you don't know if something is like that's fair survivable or not. You know, it, it, it adds a little extra like mystery to what's going to happen. Uh, but, but yeah, so like detective Bailey shows up, he shoots, uh, at, right as he like is about to shoot, uh, Kirby, like there's a ghost face coming up from behind him. And right before it ghost face gets to him, that's when he shoots Kirby, um, and the ghost face stops and that's when we find out we get the big reveal that the whole time not only has there been one not only has there been two but there's been <gasps> three ghost faces this whole time which is I, the first we've had we've had one movie that had one ghost face but every other movie has had two this is the first triple ghost face and they're somehow so weak <laughs> <laughs> turns out the uh the ghostface trio is detective bailey who happens to be the father of quinn which we knew well yeah he's the father of quinn the roommate who yeah. quote died earlier in the movie but he is also the father of richie but has managed to <laughs> hide his name has he been operating has he been operating under a detective alias the whole time? He's been somehow operating under an alias. Right. But also, like, he's Quinn's dad, and Quinn has been operating under an alias, and also Ethan's dad. Because Ethan was secretly the murderer the whole time, even though everybody called it out, and it was like... Uh, Mindy it would be super mad if she was here because she said it. She was like, "You're definitely the murderer." <laughs> but like, so, so turns out, turns out Ethan and Quinn and Detective Bailey are all family members, and Richie was the eldest son, and they were all so distraught by his death that they decided to adopt his obsession of the stab franchise and avenge his what they perceived as murder by exposing Sam as the murderer that she is and finishing his movie quote unquote Richie's movie <laughs> and the reason why they killed Jason and the other guy in the beginning of the movie is cuz they were going to jump the gun too fast and also they these three wanted to be the ones to do the job yeah, they they stumbled upon their collection of <laughs> bullshit, and then they were like, all right, well, we should probably kill these guys and get them out of the way, and then try and pin the murders on, the murder of those two on Sam. I actually liked the revelation because it makes sense that it would be Quinn and Ethan because th- they kind of fit the bill, you know? 
But this is the first time we've ever had like a ghost face who is actually like a trained, at least one of them. Is it like a trained, competent, like enforcement person? Like he knows how to wield a weapon. He's clearly fit. Like he, like I believe he is the ghost face that like uses the shotgun earlier in the movie. In the bodega. Yeah. Which would make sense because he would obviously know how to, you know, you wield that weapon properly. Um, My only problem with this is that like, are you trying to tell me that Sam was dating this guy, Richie for X amount of months and like never heard anything about his family. Oh, yeah, for never sure. Never seen a single picture of his family. Never like been on his Facebook and seen like a tagged photo of like, oh, that's what your dad looks like. It totally makes sense that she mm. wouldn't pry into her significant other's life because she's too busy keeping significant other from prying into her serial killer dad private life. Also, like they're on the West Coast. So it would totally makes sense that she wouldn't snoop because she's too busy keeping other people from snooping. I just thought the logistics of Richie covering up an entire, like, father and two other siblings is hilarious to me. Oh, it's so easy to just lie about who you are when you're just anonymously dating somebody. Come on. <laughs> There's a show about it. It's called Catfish. Mm-hmm. You can totally fake somebody out that you're dating. Um... But I, I, I did, I did like this reveal because at least it explained a little bit, uh, uh, like in the way of how like Ghostface was so competent and scary in this movie. Because sure, some of the times it was the other two, but like at least part of the time, the scary one had to have been like this, like large, like fit trained detective guy, right? Like so, it totally makes sense why he's like way more scary in this movie than he was when he was, like, two high school kids or, like, a sad mom in the second one, you know? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Another thing about this one was, like, I just felt like the reveal and the performance, like, after the the reveal felt like it it wasn't strong. Whereas, like, in the second one, because, like, this is... This is sort of a rehashing of the second one, right? Like, we end in a theater... It's a it's a family motivated like revenge plot, but like I think her name is Laurie. I don't I don't remember what the actress's name is, but like she brings like a real psycho fucking auth- a real uh, like unhinged yes, like, manic, like vibe psycho authenticity that like these three just like didn't have. I actually think these three were some of the weakest killers. <clears throat> Uh, I think I actually think I think the actress who plays Quinn does the best. I think she sells the unhingedness yeah, really well, especially after she gets the teeth knocked out Ooh, of her face and she's like ranting, like <laughs> spewing blood out of her mouth, and you see yeah. jagged teeth pieces, and she's yeah. like, "I'm gonna fucking kill you," you know. I was like, "Okay, Quinn, Quinn gets some props." But I think that's because we got so little of Quinn in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, Quinn got taken out so early in the movie. Like, Ethan denies being the killer, like, 10 or 15 times before he's revealed to be the killer. And then he does his kind of, like, psycho turn. They write Quinn out of it because they fake her murder. Like, I think the excuse that Detective Bailey says is that, like, oh, I'm a detective, so it's easy to just throw another fake body in the mix. And I'm like, well... It's New York, baby. Is that, is that something that's easy? 
<laughs> right? Like some random cadaver. I'm like, I don't but know, you know about what? I, that. I, 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 again, I choose to not question it too much. You know, I, I'm not going to say I know everything that goes on about police procedures. So, like, if you try to convince a layman like me that that's, it's easy, sure, I'll believe it. You know, whatever. <laughs> a cab, right? Like, I'll be, I feel like, like, tricking the police as a as a detective would probably be really fucking easy <laughs> <laughs> but i i, I love it that like i like the whole family dynamic but so now we get this big like like family chase scene where you know everybody's like spewing off their opinions on stuff family so this is where they they brick the two siblings right because they right, charge right. in to attack them uh, Sam and Tara brick the siblings mm. and they jump up and they they earlier spotted like oh there's an exit sign up there we might be able to go up these like scaffolding and get out so they start moving their way up the scaffolding and some shots get fired at uh, Tara and she slips and now we have Sam who is dangling Tara over the edge of this like um, the, the, like the, the amphitheater like upper theater you know and this is when we get the very, like, this is one moment where I'm like, okay, a bit heavy handed because like, uh, fucking Tara is like, you have to, you have to let me go, Sam, let me go. just like I said in the beginning of the movie, but it's more literal now. And I'm like, all right, like you, you, you didn't have to say it. Like we were, we've been in these seats the whole time. We get it. <laughs> but Either either way, I guess some people need need the heavy hand in this. But yeah, she was she lets her she lets her go. So we have we have Ethan who is standing below Tara, and we have Quinn who is now on the upper deck, spewing teeth and blood. <laughs> yeah, she's walking towards uh, the two of them, and she's like, "You have to let me go," and she like does a little bit of like you know situational awareness she kind of takes in what's going on and she passes her sister the knife and she lets go of her sister tara drops down and lands on ethan ethan stabs her in the gut and she fucking drives this knife right into his mouth oh yeah and twists it so hard and you get a nice good crunch Ooh. A lot of knife twisting in this, yes. in this joint. So much knife twisting. Everybody who has a knife twists it once it goes in. <laughs> then we have Sam and Quim, Quinn up on the uh, second level. And she like charges at her with the gun straight ahead. And <laughs> Sam gets the upper hand on her and gets the gun away. Right. But this is where we get my favorite. I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is now we're focusing on Detective uh, Bailey. And, you know, he's in the sort of, like, the center stage. And he he gets a phone call from Sam. And she's using the ghost face voice. And she has her little conversation with him. And then manages to sneak up on him wearing the full ghost face outfit. And then she just gets on top of him and, again, stabs him so fucking many times like 30 times so more times so much stabbing than i think anybody has been stabbed in a scream movie i 
I like that she, I think it speaks to her psychosis of like, you know, like she wants to toy with how him. how she is I adapting see, see, to her. Yeah, right. Like she she let him live that long because her, her you know, psyche told her like, don't kill him yet. Put on the mask. Make a game get out the of voice it. Changer, yeah, and do it right. Perform the ritual. Okay. I'm, you know? I'm into do that. Do it the right way. That's how her father would want her to do it. And so she feels that it's the right way to... I mean, this movie doesn't spell that out. That's totally me reading into it. But if if I was writing it, that's how I would want it to be read, you know? And that's how I would think it to be more yeah, more compelling. Yeah, she's, she's like, I have to do it the right way. A- and I think the rest of the movie kind of, like, uh, helps that theory... Um, but yeah, so like she ends up, you know, with you saying that it makes a lot of sense to me and it actually makes me sort of appreciate that insight a little bit more. But like, I wish they like, if that is the case and that you was wish it intent. wasn't like a fan theory and yes, it was more exactly. spelled out. Like, I wish they spent a little <laughs> bit more time, like constructing that scene to like illustrate that, like, she's not like she's doing this because she wants to torture him. She wants to fuck with him like her dad did because like that's sort of where her like Right. If we got It's like she's trying to fight against this like sort of nature part. Right. But almost if like if they had added in an extra scene instead of just cutting straight to him waking up, if we got a scene of her being like Tara, get out of here and then her like ha- even like you get like give us 60 seconds of her like, you know, walking up to him and then, like, having, yeah. like, Billy call her over yeah. to, like, the the case, you know, would have probably at least sold that just a, enough more, like, to be... For sure. ...believable. But either you way... You don't even need 60 seconds. Not like, even just 60. Show, like, yeah. I'm, I'm confident enough in her performance that, like, she could just, like, stand over his unconscious body and just, like, stare at him. And you know what I mean? And then we cut to him waking up and, like, you'll get the sense. Right. Like, she could be about to stab him and then she goes, no. And then he wakes up mm-hmm. and then she does the whole sequence because then it would spell it out a little bit more clearly. But that's how I read it is, like, it, it's because, like, she – so she ends up sneaking up on this guy and she just stabs the fucking shit out of him. Like, stabs so many times. I think it's the most anybody's ever been stabbed. And it's so rapid fire. You get this cool, like, the camera, like, wraps around in a circle, like, I think once or twice around as she just goes, stab, 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 stab. And she's, like, not even just the same place. She's hitting, like, all the points on this guy. she's, like, stabbing him up one arm across his chest, down the other arm, like, all over his torso, his neck, his face. She's making sure to hit all the points. Like, she knows what she's, it's, it's, like, she's being so brutal about it and then like eventually like i think her tara shows up she like comes to the curtain and he goes stop stop and and, like she does and then he goes like he's trying he's coughing up blood he's been stabbed so many times he's like she stops stabbing him and he goes thank you um because she goes like I think she says, uh, you, you thought I was, like, the bad guy, but I'm not. Everybody thinks I'm a murderer, and, but I'm better than that. I'm something more than and that. And he goes, thank Yeah, and then he goes, thank you. And then, you know, with Tara there, she goes, but you did fuck with my family. And then she <laughs> fucking stabs him right through the eye hole. <laughs> Again, <Yeah>. Dom Toretto. <laughs> family. Family. And then she pulls out, and, you know, they do a big, like, car pull-out <laughs> montage. Uh, <laughs> No, but then, 
as uh, so she finishes him off. She takes off the the robe, and then they step out from behind the curtain. And then you get a little written and directed by Richie Kirsch as his movie is like <laughs> playing over tattered, uh, like screen the tattered screen. And then they just sit down. Uh, and then the kind of the movie sort of like wraps up, like you know the two sisters, and also nobody you know, died. <laughs> their bond. It's very sweet. Oh, by the way, everybody who you thought was stabbed is not dead. They have like a, you know, I, I think that I think Jenna Ortega and uh, Melissa Barrera have good chemistry. I agree. You know, I think they're very believable as sisters. I think so. Um, oh, Ethan gets one more scare. Uh, and yeah, then he jumps up and then he, fucking Kirby then pushes Kirby the TV over on his face. TV what? On I forgot about this. The same TV that killed. Wait a second, though. Uh, what's his face? <laughs> Stu. Stu. How the fuck is Kirby, who's been stabbed in the guts, shot three times, throwing a TV with enough force to kill? This I think guy? I think it's on a stand, and she just pushes it over on him. But like, yeah, it is. It is the, the force at which that TV is thrown. It's not it important. It's not. That's not important. Dylan. <laughs> it is for me. That dude's already almost dead anyway. I guess, He's got one like, one oomph left. She left just in shot him, him. You know what you I mean? Know, and that's it. <laughs> but then uh, the police. But then the police burst in, led by Danny Jasagara's character. He's like, "I brought the police, all of them, <laughs> the good ones that aren't Ghostface," and then. And then, you know, uh, so it turns out Kirby survived. She gets hauled off an ambulance. Uh, Mindy shows up because she went to the hospital with, like, seven stab wounds, and they just released her an hour later, I guess. They couldn't stop her. Well, she's only got That's one. She's got one good They couldn't stab stop wound. her, right? They, they couldn't stop her is the quote. Like, she refused to stay in the hospital. And so she sprints downtown and makes it just in time for the reveal that Chad is still alive, even though he's been stabbed 70 times. Um, but he's the new Dewey. But Dewey didn't get, like, double you know, team, he's, like, he's gonna be stab. He's going to be, like, so fucked up in the next movie. But he'll still be, he'll still be trucking along. He's going to be the positive driving force. If he's not in a wheelchair in the next movie, I'm going to have some issues. This guy's got to have some kind of long-term damage. I liked... Or some crutches. I liked that all of these characters in this movie have scars left over from the last movie. Like, very visible scars, like, on his face and, like, on their hands. Yeah, there's a really good shot earlier in the movie of Jenna Ortega's character with the big scar in her hand where she was stabbed straight through. Yeah, Yeah, all the defensive wounds. I like that. I think that's really cool. But if this kid's not like on an air tank, like in a wheelchair in the next movie, I don't I don't know what we're doing. It would be cool if he was on like crutches or something, you know, where like he could still be a little more mobile, but like still has struggled to walk. They're not going to do that. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) even still, I mean, Dewey never had. But in in Scream 5, Dewey was pretty. He was like limping all the time because he's been feeling his wounds from all the other ones. Yeah, I could see them doing like a limp, but I don't think they're going to like I don't I mean, I can't see them doing like an extreme like disability type effect. I, I believe that they 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 would i think these people are competent enough in like they they believe in their characters enough that they could give them some handicaps and they wouldn't you know find Mm. it to be like taking away from the movie where i know like a lot of the times movie directors are like no they have to be all Mm. able-bodied otherwise it's not compelling 
You know, I don't think that's something that these people really take into consideration. But then I think the last shot of the movie is um, as they're all getting ready to walk away, uh, Sam sort of like looks at her bundled up jacket and she has Billy's scream mask sort of bundled up and she has like a really long, like dramatic um, before Tara is like, hey, are you coming? And then she like drops it on the ground and just like leaves it. But I, I, I like the I do like the idea that she's, you know, I don't think that she's done. You know, she's still going to I think she's still going to be seeing Billy. And I think it hopefully will play an even bigger part in Scream 7 should it ever happen. Agreed. They just need to push like the Billy Loomis shit. Like if they want to lean into that, they have to push it for me. Like you've already done the same arc for two movies. I'm not going to like be satisfied with the same thing again. Right. I, I agree. I think if they if they if and when they do Scream Seven, they have to focus way more on the psychological, you know, Sam and Billy sort of aspect. I'm not saying that I need Sam to be the murderer, but like if we like do something with it. Because right now it's just sort of like window dressing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but I do like how her I, I do think that she these two movies have now separated Sam apart from uh, Nev Campbell's Sydney, where like mm-hmm. Sydney was more of a, like a reluctant hero and she just wants to survive. I like how Sam's character has now like sort of like realized that she, you know, the survival is obviously paramount, but she enjoys like the the turnaround and hunt of, you know, the killer that has plagued her like she enjoys like the killer comes after her then she gets to come after him you know which is a totally different dynamic and i think they have to i'm with you dylan they have to explore that yeah way more in seven if they don't i i really don't know what they're doing they're spinning their wheels totally it's just like it's like a weak narrative like it's just like putting this coat of paint like oh maybe if she's crazy it'll separate her instead of like really in-depth like exploring right exactly just crazy paint crazy paint (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah so my my final opinion of this movie i really love this one i think this is as far as the screams go i think scream one probably the strongest but i think scream two and three now that i look back at all at it all are the my least Mm. favorite i really love four and I, i i've really i've really become very fond of five and six i just enjoyed Mm. myself maybe i have some recency bias on it things might change in the future but i think right now my ranking is scream one uh and then six and then four and then five and then two and three i think three is my least favorite wow Mm. actually no two 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 is my least yeah i gotta i gotta go with one two six uh, yeah, I, I think three and four for me are, are where it falls the most short. Um, five was definitely the shortest for me. But... Wow. Okay. I think my ranking still even – like I have enjoyed watching all of them, but like my ranking is one, then four, then I think three, then two, then six, then five. Um, I don't, well, I don't know. Six and five are like interchangeable for me. I like they're absolutely <laughs> bottom of the barrel for me. But you know what? And I still... say give it time. We'll we'll see if the, how it sits with you. Because like I, you know, 
I think that's the thing as well, yeah, because, like, I recently rewatched 1, 2, and 3, and really got a new appreciation for it, like, as a trilogy, so, like, I'm curious to see where they take it. After the second one, though, like, it doesn't seem like... Well, I guess I'll have to hold my judgment, but for me, like, I still... For me, 1 and 4... Four, like, has some issues, but, like, the motivation and, like, how they applied, like, the the sort of meta, like, narrative to, like, modern day audiences. And, like, mm-hmm. to me, like, I still feel like people are obsessed with, like, going viral and, like, wanting to be, like, famous for, like, things like that. Yeah. And, like, the idea that somebody's perception and, like, perspective of that would yeah. get so warped based on, like, this family tragedy that, like, they're sort of feeling like they're in the shadow by. The motivation of Jill exactly. was the strongest since yeah. one for me. And that's why it's my second. Right. Yeah. That's why I love, that's why I love four so much. Cause I really believed it. I was like, this, this feels very poignant to the time it was released. I was like, I believe this one. Um, but I, I don't know. I liked, I, I liked five a lot. Um, I, I just feel like I, I really appreciate the mm. brutality that these two movies have brought to Ghostface because like I said earlier, Ghostface has always been to me kind of like a bumbling yeah. sort of goofy like killer, which is fine because he still managed to get, you know, yes, get his point across in all of the other movies. But these two movies have really upped you know, mm-hmm. Ghostface's like horror factor. I think between both movies, he's he's become increasingly more brutal and more scary, while still maintaining his sort of like f- tongue-in-cheek fun yeah. aspects. You know, uh, because the the he he's always he's be he's super brutal in the middle points of these two movies, but like he always gets once Ghostface gets unmasked because now he's not wearing the mask anymore. Then they revert back to their powerless, like yeah. goofy, bumbling character. They definitely you know? did make an effort to like increase the like gore which like i can appreciate like i'm a fan of it like in the first one the intro was very gory and i like i appreciated that but like to me like it's they gotta Mm -hmm. they gotta up the like writing and be more thoughtful about like what kind of story they're trying Mm -hmm. to tell like to me this feels like a little bit like less cohesive than the original trilogy yeah i can i can i can feel you there um i i think we're we're really just waiting to see where they complete you know if they can if they can kind of like stick the landing yeah if they can put a bow on the third one i think it'll it'll help unify everything in a major way but they really gotta stick that landing yeah but as it is still for me personally i again recency bias might be a thing you know years from now mm-hmm. i might be like you know what five and six not that great but for now i i really appreciate it i you know i love them i just love i think melissa barrera does a really good job jenna ortega obviously she can't do anything wrong because <laughs> she's perfect um uh, you know i i i just i i just like i really like the cast i this movie made me appreciate i didn't really care for chad and mindy that much in the first movie me either uh or in five because right. i was like i know who i know these archetypes i clearly understand who they're trying to emulate from the original movies but like this one i i think they came more into their own characters they add a little bit more lore to them i like that they all survive i like that everybody survived you know because I think that builds 
you know, it's the same reason why I was so devastated when mm. Dewey finally did die in five. And I thought he died like an awesome death. Like, I love how he mm-hmm. like really took one for the team. He passed the torch on. I love that the ghost <laughs> yeah. face was like, it's an honor. You know, it just felt very, it felt so good and right. And it didn't feel forced, you know? And yeah. I love how Gale didn't die in this movie because that would have been too on the yeah, nose. Yeah, we got to right? get like, rid oh, of all the legacy one off this characters. Movie, we kill the next one off sure. in this movie. You know, I love that she's still alive. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think this movie handled things pretty, I, for me, pretty dexterously. I, I think it could have gone sure. really bad at any turn. And yeah. I don't think this movie ever hits a point, ever hits a point <laughs> where it's like, you know, it never, it never just nose dives and becomes like That's a, a good sound shape, effect. You know? So uh, I, I, I'm I I really like this one. I I'm gonna let I'm gonna let it sink in a little bit more. Maybe when we do our like end of year roundup, I'll have mm-hmm. like you know cooled down or maybe warmed up you know on it. Who knows? We'll have uh, other stuff to compare it to. Also. Exactly. That, you yeah, won't be true. just in the the screen pool. But um. But yeah, so I, I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say right now, so that's our coverage of Scream Six because we're so far over time. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's not Dylan's fault. Well also we had to discuss like Scream as a franchise. Like we can't just talk about the movie cold. Yeah, we've never a, as a podcast, we've never really discussed Scream. Um so we've right. never we don't have like our opinions. Right, right, right from previous episodes to fall back on. So this one's going to be a little bit longer. I personally don't really care because uh, as a podcast listener, I prefer when my pods are like three hours long, you know, (laughs) because it just means, it just means this is going to the cutting floor hard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying I prefer a long podcast because I like to just know I have Uh content to listen to when I need it, you know, (laughs) whether I have to pause the episode halfway through or not. But um, but yeah, so I think we're gonna skip over the final cuts. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about anything coming in the future because we kind of already did that. Uh, we're gonna have a future episode. We're gonna bring Dylan back. We're gonna do a whole Dead by Daylight. Uh, <laughs> ep. Um, so we have that to look forward to. Uh, you know, any anything else? Uh, you guys want to say, Dylan, Eric? Um, I don't really have anything to say. I'm super glad. I got to be a guest on your podcast. Thanks for having me. I love Scream. I'm so glad. It was nice to have a sort of like foil because usually mm-hmm. me and Eric are like yeah. on exactly yeah. the same page for most movies, you know? So it's nice to have somebody to like bounce like, you know, uh, ideas and theories off of who who isn't going to. Yeah, well, I, mean, I feel like, like we've all, since we were correct. in school, like we've had differing opinions <laughs> on a lot of like the movies that we watched and like. I, I he- love healthy the, differences. Yeah, I love the Scream franchise. So like, I kind of, I just sort of assumed that you would like it. So I was like curious to see like if by coming on here and like discussing the movie at length, like my opinion would change. And like, there's definitely certain aspects that like made me like think a little bit deeper into the scenes and like the decisions. But like, I still th- wish like the execution was like. A little bit more thoughtful. Yeah, but but I'm glad you know it was. I'm glad that like I, I at least presented an yeah, idea I'm... that you were like, oh, 
that, you know? That's all I care about. If I can get one of those off, you know, that's yeah, well, I'm that's gonna ride on fun. that one for like, like that's months. the fun of discussing <laughs> you know? all of this stuff, discussing art and discussing film and stuff, like being able to like bring your initial opinion of something to somebody else and then you know dissect it and think mm-hmm. like well well do i still feel this way or has my opinion changed moving forward uh after this week uh we're gonna try and get this episode as f- out as fast as we can but uh end of march uh i'm gonna be moving so we're gonna try and double up early uh next week we're catching something's wrong with the children followed by the 11th entry into oh, the Children Jesus, of the Corn franchise. And those two will be coming out across March and the beginning of April. So we're going to we're going to yeah, we're going to check out some creepy kid movies to get us across to April and uh we'll we'll see we'll see how they fare. <laughs> I know, you know what? I was kind of hoping that we would if it wasn't for Scream coming out this month, we almost would have had like a March of the Creepy Children because every other movie would have been right in line with that theme. So it was almost thematic. But you know what? Themed months is, is something to worry about when we got sponsors. So we can uh, <laughs> we can put that off for now. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, thanks for listening to Devil's Cut. Uh, if you could give us, a, if you are listening and you haven't already, you know, give us a like, give us a review. If you can give us five stars, even if you didn't like us that much, you could just not listen to us, but still give us five stars. Uh, and also, same deal with the <laughs> review. Please leave us a review, even if you didn't like us. Just don't listen to us, but say we're great. Uh, it really helps. Um, also, we stream on Twitch. Right now, we're streaming uh, Tuesdays and Fridays at 8 o'clock at MattXYoung at Twitch.com. Uh, that's my channel. So check us out there. We stream horror games. And uh, right now, we've been doing a lot of Destiny. But if we get more viewers, we'll stick to spooky stuff. Um, and you can check us out on... Uh, you can email us at thedevilscutpod at gmail.com. Check us out at... Uh, devil's cut pod right is it what's the twitter devil's cut or devil's cut pod the devil's cut pod same thing with instagram devil's cut the devil's cut pod on twitter on instagram uh dylan you want to plug yourself oh uh (laughs) my twitter your instagram your twitter what or or maybe not i know whatever you want to plug to follow me uh i am at dylan snook art you know what? Dil- I'll preface it. Dylan's got some. Dylan's got some uh, adult stuff on his on his uh, it, it Twitter. I but draw what I want. Just deal with it. You know it. what I mean? And if it's not for you, it's he not draws for what you. he wants. We're not afraid of no. adult content. Uh, I'm at Dylan Snook Art. My name is Dylan D I L L O N. Just one eye, and Snook S N O O K. And you can follow me if you like. <laughs> Uh, you should follow him, even if you don't like. Uh, that's just my rule. Whether you care about us don't or not. Don't hate follow me. Us- I don't need your fucking toxic energy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, all right. Thank thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode of The Devil's Cut.